All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome back to the second part of our little digital karma debate here today. We have with us the master of these <clears throat> weird things, Clifford. <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, browsing a few subjects. I want to kind of move a little back to a couple. Uh, when you talk about the Jesus mode, quote unquote, where you can monitor two places at the same time, right? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I had a guest on. He his name is Tony Gosling, and he told me that uh, the Intel agencies have a backdoor in the computer. I think in inside the CPU, and I'm not surprised because my machine is very honest. Because on outside, I have a bumper sticker saying Intel inside <laughs> well, hey, <you laughs> on know. my machine. So is this true? Uh, are we feeding them directly through the uh, processor? Okay, so um, it no. Okay, so so firm the idea of a firmware built into the processor backdoor is meaningless. All mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and the reason that that is is because that backdoor doesn't open onto the internet without going through an internet card, through a network card, through an Ethernet card, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and those cards are controlled by software. So the Ability, so you need a cooperative um, uh, firmware to cooperate in the cards uh, with each other, et cetera, et cetera, and that doesn't actually exist. Now, it is true to say, though, that the operating systems themselves are compromised. The rumors of backdoors in Microsoft, in Linux, uh, any of them you care to name, are um, Linux uh, too? accurate. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because Linux, although it's open source, look what happens. You uh, get a company, you get the open source Linux, you put in whatever the hell CIA, NSA, or whoever wants it in there, and then you just simply offer the Linux to as uh, being for sale. How many people are never, ever, ever going to examine the kernel to see what's actually in there, never compile it themselves, and simply take your word for it that it's kosher and install it on their machine? Hmm. Then I won't uh, change from Win 7 to Linux. I'm I'm sticking at Win 7 because Win sure. 8 is a mandatory cloud. And like one of my video makers says, there's no such thing as a cloud. It's just someone else's machine. Correct. It's just basically someone else's uh, servers. Well, yeah. all right. I wouldn't go to Linux anyway. There's there's hundreds of uh, versions of Linux, but you could, if you wanted, you could compile your Linux yourself after having scanned the code and make sure that it's clean. I know a guy that's running Windows 98 simply because it was the most wow. effective, fastest Windows ever, and he's able to maintain the operating system himself. But uh, I would favor actually probably... Uh, free BSD, okay, for a number of reasons, uh, because it is a Unix and so on, uh, and the source code kernels are available and it's small, but uh, and it's also the widest used operating system on the planet. So um, what really? What about Windows and Mac? Nah, geez, no, no, no. There's Windows and Mac together um, don't uh, are are probably a small fraction of free BSD operating systems installed in stationary devices. Really? Who's, who's these oh, people who uses everything else then? 
I've never seen them. Oh uh, yeah, but it's like um, there's so much of the digital world, so much of I mean, as, in terms of our discussion, that is just hidden from from even oh, the right. cognoscenti. Okay, right. I mean, how many operating systems can you name, or how many uh, programming languages can you name? Dos. <laughs> okay, and see, and see, the thing is, there are actual hundreds of programming languages. Right, hundreds of them each aiming to achieve something that the others don't. And so so the and most people if they're lucky they might know java or they might no. know you know something like that. They might know some word about it. But most people are not programmers they, and so most of the digital world is is hidden from them. Uh, my wife has uh, she's ceased being amazed by it because she understands what happens, but uh, I can walk on up to uh, you know we would go to Europe and for instance, we we hadn't traveled there together. And uh, in the modern uh, period, this is like in the '94, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can walk on up to digital devices that existed in Europe at that time that didn't exist here in the United States, and I could, within a, a few seconds, determine what the operating parameters were of them because of uh, general familiarity with software, mm -hmm. and because it's software that runs on everything. And I came up from a actual from a hardware background, so I understand the primary ring and the operating in the uh, CPU and how everything works from there out. So let me get back to our backdoor statement here. Yes, you're feeding them. Mostly, it's it's not doing them any good to have your data, uh, but it's coming through the operating system backdoors, not any of the firmware. Um, uh, you know, there's some some area in which firmware and software merge in phones, but we don't need to get into that level of it here. But in any event, uh, you know, think of the poor guys at the NSA. Most to the to the point where the fraction is now meaningless. So we would have to say something like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of all of the data that NSA collects. They'll never even look at. Mm. Okay, so all of the they may know the last time you farted and it smelled like fish. They're never <laughs> ever going to find this out, right? Unless you do something. And basically, this is the way that the systems work. And I know this from having lived in the military system uh, from the time I was born. So I was born into a system in the way most people were not, because I was born into what was the most highly regulated system uh, that existed on the planet at the time, which was the American military industrial complex in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. It was extremely regimented. And I, I learned a real truism there that none of the things that they potentially have on you, none of your transgressions will ever amount to anything unless you step up to the level that you force someone yeah. to do something about it, right? Yeah. Unless you're that much of an irritant. And then they'll dig up everything and use it to you know, like Alex Jones he was actually that type of an irritant correct yeah. and it wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered what the deal was so so no. it does not matter what he had done they would manufacture something to achieve their end which they kind of did anyway in the, exactly. but you're right there's so many megalomaniac um, uh, in the alternative independent media who thinks they are single out I always say if they ever interfere or do something with us I'm going to be hugely honored actually couldn't be more of a hallmark for for becoming important you know but a real status symbol yeah, yeah but mainly they're just treating us in bulk uh, so so there is a discrimination but it's a bulk discrimination but you know bill binney you heard about him of nsa mm, i don't think so well he he you should check out his he was a whistleblower uh, like a serious real one not not blue chicken type and he right. 
he was I think he was before yeah he was before Snowden and he <clears throat> he came out and explained how the NSA stuff works even so Snowden didn't really uh, say anything new stuff but maybe I guess he proved it that's the big deal but oh he provided the data yeah Correct. that's the problem right, right. but Binney he su- he suggested and this is why I think it would be interesting for you he suggested to NSA hey instead of this intrusive and useless and ineffective and law-breaking way to do it. Right. I've developed a system that, on the one hand, takes care of people's privacy. On the other hand, actually gets uh, can extract what we actually need. I, I mean, if you're buying into that, they're really looking for terrorists. Uh, and not manufacturing right. them. <laughs> right. And there's, and there's where it all broke down. <laughs> exactly. They know there was an interest. No, no, we want everything. We want everything. And we don't. Right. We're not interested in terrorists, guy. We don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you should check him out because I guess he must be, if he's not a programmer, he at, at least understands these things. Right. Because he's, he's been working with it. So, so, so there's no denying they're gobbling it all up, but then it yeah. becomes, I, I think a secondary thing that they earn on is our self censorship because we know they do it and then we and that goes also for the algorithm in youtube either it's intended or not it makes us behave in a certain way sure, like, sure. it is social engineering. oh i don't want to go there in this program because then i'm losing money you see what i mean oh yeah yeah yeah. might lose my channel might get a copyright strike right exactly yeah. so now it's fear as now it's all the little kid mentality fear of the parent yeah right the the parent that says you can't use naughty words mm. or you you know you're going to suffer right and so we're all self censoring so it's like even worse than high school it's like being back in junior high or you know even <laughs> even elementary school primary school right mm. and so but the the system itself is um the thing you really have to worry about in my my way of thinking is not because uh, I don't ever expect that most of us will rise up high enough to be swatted by the powers that be okay. Mm. Uh, we've had an example of that recently. A uh, guy in Google uh, was a whistleblower on Google and showed how all their algorithms are being used to target conservatives. And he uh, spread this information out. And Google fired his ass for betraying their oath of allegiance to progressive enlightenment. Yeah, I remember him. And he wasn't he actually a left-winger originally? Correct. Uh, I, I don't know about that. His politics are b- beside the point. Yeah. But he, d- he did do this. He lived in San Francisco. He goes home and Google phones in a wellness check on him, which means they swatted him wow. in, um, in gaming terms, right? SWAT shows up. There's snipers across the street. There's helicopters overhead. Uh, for all, there could have been submarines in the sewer for all I know, right? Mm-hmm. And they were seriously after him and he was a threat to the general environment. And he had to answer these six questions because Google, the the company, said to the police, this man is a danger. Go and wellness check him. And so, I mean, all kinds of major shit came down on this guy. Mm -hmm. And he could have made one wrong misstep and he could have been killed on his front door because they might have actually thought he was a real threat before they actually talked to him. The guys talk to him. Tension melts. The cops wave it all down. Once he tells them what the fuck's going on, they're on his side because he's wow. a, he's a hero in, in their mind, right? But Google set it up for him to be basically swatted. And that's when, because in the dynamic aspect of that encounter, he could have easily been killed. And nonetheless, it got their message across that we're, we're big enough to have 
you crushed and killed for doing, and we're pissed at you for what, what you did. And so here is that most people won't rise to that. They won't be in an opportunity to rise to that level of annoyance to the main system. So what they really have to fear is ticking off some of the petty fascistic bureaucrats that also are within these organizations that also have access to what the machine knows. Oh. So, so your reference to the guy snooping on his ex-wife or girlfriend in NSA, the only way he could have done that was simply because of of uh, privilege of his employment, yeah. right? Mm. He couldn't have done that if he'd worked for Starbucks, right, <laughs> or something <laughs> like something like that. So, mm. under the circumstances, it's these petty bureaucratic um, dictator guys that are going to uh, be your your largest level of annoyance within the system itself outside of the algorithm. But the algorithms are, are written by software engineers. They operate under strictly mechanistic forms. And there is a, something here that's really true. And you just alluded to it a second ago. And that is that there's a major truism in life, a philosophical understanding that you can take with you to the grave and it will be true between this day and that day. Mm -hmm. And I wish that day to be greatly far in the future. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the truism is that any system left in place long enough will be gamed by humans. Mm. This, is, this is why I don't fear space aliens. You know, any space alien group that comes here, they're toast, mm -hmm. right? Once we start crawling in the, the, the guts of their systems, they're, they're totally screwed. We're going to but, pollute them on so many levels. Exactly. Because exactly. a ma matter of war is to first get to know your enemy, but that would be the worst part of their invasion. <laughs> Watching <laughs> our TV shows, you know, yeah, it's exactly, going to be horrible. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Lucy, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> I, I, I look forward to they get some uh, Norwegian black metal into their. <laughs> oh God! Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, the horror of those aliens yeah. melting down all over. <laughs> They're going to. But, but, but there's there's the, the the rub of it all is that even today the um, look where the heroes are within our social order that are not publicly sanctioned by the algorithm. So if it's the problem of the algorithm of the people controlling the algorithm, the algorithm itself is not sanctioned. It has no understanding. It's not a thing that exists. It's a bunch of symbols on a, on a computer program and that's it that are manipulated by these people. But look at what their, their huge problem is. The more they tighten up, the more, as we've seen through history, the more they clamp down, the more they screw everybody into a tighter and tighter position, the more the hero object in our system of objects becomes the person standing up to and defeating. And even if they have to do it like a rat through sewer tunnels, uh, surreptitiously, the great, uh, uh, thing that's affecting us all, we will always put that hero status on those individuals that are standing up to the system of objects that is oppressing us. Like, like Snowden, like Assange, like Ross. All of these guys, and we see it even in the YouTube algorithm itself. So let's look at a specific example here, okay? Within the mainstream, Tim Pool. Are you aware of Tim Pool? Yeah, I just discovered okay. him. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, he went to Sweden. He walked in the, uh, he put his life on body on the line. Uh, he's been, had people chase him down through the streets of Paris trying to beat the shit out of him. Uh, you know, this was a guy who earned his hero mantle, in my opinion. Mm. And, and he is such because he was the person that was giving you the real information 
boots on the ground, showing you the, the actual shit as it was going down, not the agenda that was being spoon-fed to you by the mainstream. Mm. Mainstream disliked him. They temp- uh, keep attempting to crush him. The algorithms are always skewed against him. He's always being uh, demonetized and hassled and so on, but he keeps going. Now, their problem is just this. Everything they do to him enhances his aura within our social standing of the tribe that pays attention to news and personality even more. He gets uh, what we call proper chops, right? I mean, like Mm. uh, proper respect for uh, his uh, acumen and his skill and his actions in still staying on the air and still getting the news out, still putting out the opinion in spite of the shit that he gets. And so so that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Mm -hmm. And, And the algorithm does the people that write the algorithm, some of them may know they're participating in the uh, hermetic heuristics that make Tim Pool stronger, but they're bound by that process and they couldn't not do it if they tried. Hmm. So they dare not release Tim Pool to be wild, so to speak, on YouTube because he would go from, you know, I don't know how many subscribers he's got now, but he would triple in a matter of days. Hmm. And, and his views would skyrocket and he would draw so much more uh, advertising dollars that that CNN would and MSNBC would really suffer from that. So, so he's individually targeted. Correct. He's individually targeted because he rose up to a high enough level, but mm. he's not so high that they they have to take him to down. Epstein, yeah, Epstein. yeah, Epstein. Right, right. They don't have to Epstein him. Right. Yeah, right. Or, or drive him to suicide. You know about this Ross guy for the free Ross yeah, movement. Exactly. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the gist of what happened there? I'm going to interview his mother, by the way. He needs attention. But what what was his crime? Why did they decide that he is serious enough? I don't know. See, that's. I haven't investigated it to the point where I'm satisfied that I understand that. Okay. I was just going to say I can't comment on that yet oh, right, because right. I'm still in my investigation phase. Okay. But yeah, they 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 have you know suicide is a um, it's not a state of of actually doing anything yourself. It it can be done in the past uh, tense to you in the sense you can be suicided. I like Epstein, yeah, correct. Mm. And so so the nature of our our language has changed. But see, they can't do that to Tim Pool. A he's not danger enough to warrant it now. And if they were going to do those kind of things, then I don't know what level he would have to get. Maybe he'd have to be as big as PewDiePie to to warrant that kind of thing. But if he was as big as PewDiePie, they dare not touch him, right? Or they could do like they did with um, uh, the leaker uh, of the Clinton scandals. Uh, what's his name again? Who was, quote unquote, robbed. Oh, yeah. Well, he wasn't even mugged. Uh, what was his name again? Um, oh. Uh... You know, the one who actually provided... I, I don't know. It, it fades so fast, you know? Yeah. I was just trying to think of this. Um, one of the... you know, He the, should be remembered. Okay, but we're... Okay, so going way back in our conversation, back uh, 45 minutes or so, mm-hmm. we were talking about whether or not they care, right? The powers that be. Do they yeah. care about this? They're so brazen and so on. Mm-hmm. I think they care desperately. They worked for centuries to keep a, a basically a low profile. They are still withdrawing, doing everything they can to not associate themselves with their own past history, such as removing all of the portraits from all of the museums that show most of the royals with elongated skulls throughout the Middle Ages, right? <laughs> all of these are being dis- disappeared right. rapidly. Right. So they're doing things continuously to keep cleaning up their image. They mm-hmm. care about that kind of thing for many different reasons, but they're being forced to have a faster pace because of people like you and I and the technology involved here and the fact that other or individuals like myself, not necessarily you, that, that 
are able to do programming and are of a particular bent and might do things that are antisocial. And they're desperately afraid of that because the technology opens up the whole planet to control, but it also ups, opens that control up to being fiddled with everybody it's trying to control. Mm-hmm. So imagine if if the concept of hacking as an art form spread the way that parkour even, right? How many people? Yeah, because, the- they're, because they're cracking down on, or they have traditionally cracked down on hackers. You know, in a serious way. Yeah. But what they're doing, of course, is they're forcing it underground. And we've also gone to a certain extent, the hacking community has gone to the point of uh, having an open face legitimizing of it. Okay. So just like the people that wanted freedom for the Palestinians, uh, who were basically fighters, had to create a social organization to act as their front with their, or their, their liaison to the population and also ended up with that social organization providing food, medicine, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The hacking community is having to do this as we've moved away from, and I say we advisedly Mm -hmm. have moved away from, uh, you know, lone individuals out there goofing around. Now there's a whole, there's conventions of hacking guys, right? And there's, there's social status for coming up with new and better, uh, you know, gimmicks, tricks, hacks, uh, pops and weasels. You just you go there to, to for bragging rights. But but are and these, it's are not these... about money. Yes, go on, go on. I was going to say it's not about money or anything at this stage. It's truly the beginning of a philosophical or ideological approach to living within the system of objects, where where you as an individual say to yourself, and basically a Dick, uh, David Ike kind of a you know, uh, come to a revolution of awakening within your own mind. You say to yourself, I live in a system of objects that is controlled by this technology. I can personally learn to dominate the technology at any of these levels I choose to do so. And it's just a matter of me putting in the work. And so this ethos is emerging where we have individuals that um, travel the world from conference to conference and conference and are lauded by their peers and uh, the other people within the the hacking community for their skills. It's the ultimate meritocracy within our consumer society of system of objects. Many of these people are quite wealthy. Many of them don't care at all about money because they've been able, they've found a way to exist without it. So there are really still hackers because I've been looking at these new generation of hackers just as uh, propped up fancy programmers, whereas the old school hackers like, you know, a Gary McKinnon or whatever, sure. they were really doing hacking. They were really going into the official system and subverting stuff. Whereas today, no, today, no, today, it's the hostile takeover model used on hackers. Like if you're good enough, they say, hey, you work for us. Or you're in deep shit. Well, there's there's because of everything we did before. Right there's there's the rub guy. Mm. Gary McKinnon was not that skilled. We know this because he got caught. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Okay, so in my estimation, I can name you dozens of individuals. Some of them now retired. That in the software world would have the same level of skill as say a Kintaro in firmware, and they you'll never know you've been hacked. Mm. Their skill is so good. Obviously. And, and obviously the best hackers are unknown are unknown exactly mm. but they're they're alluded to within the community by appellations that you know have a can't be connected to them via the right. the uh, networking software and mm. there's a 
the big rub. So these guys know not only firmware, but uh, also the software component of it all the way up. And these are the kind of people that NSA and CIA and these sorts of individuals really fear. For instance, most of the people that work for the CIA are basically as computer illiterate as the regular general population. <laughs> right. Okay, their, their IT department, however voluminous it might be and however skilled it might be, is really relatively diminutive based on the entire size of the organization. Same thing is true of any of the Intel organizations, including NSA. Most of the people that work for the NSA are not particularly software literate outside of their individual domain of running their machine. That, that's a generation problem, isn't it? Uh because they have to adjust if they want to keep doing their dirty work. No, they don't. No, they don't. See, there's the rub. Uh, the transition level within open general society is if you want to stay current, if you want to be on the leading edge, you've got to know what the latest, greatest phone is. So you're changing every year or every 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. But within organizational software hardware platforms, you might still be working on a PDP-11. I know that PDP-11s are still used in the Intel industry because I actually got offered a job doing some programming on an obscure form of a pro prologue that runs on, on one of these devices. And, and we're talking about government having all of this antiquated, large, um, basically, uh, most frequently large uh, constructs, and they have a historical problem, or they have a problem, and that is institutional history. So it is devastating to them when one of their deep IT guys quits because they don't have a history anymore of what happened to get them up to that point. And some of that equipment might be 25 years old. Mm. I, when I was working for a government, I was writing software as we were digitizing the government records and government functions and stuff in the 80s and 90s. And I wrote a program that lasted 25 years in state government. It ran flawlessly for 25 years. It had never had a failure other than those times when the power went out and the computer simply could not operate. It was on a, on a PC network that I devised at the time, and they had a daily record of working seven days a week for 25 years, and they finally shut it down because the internet came along, and they just didn't need it anymore. They wanted to modernize. It was more convenient to do things on the internet than run this old antiquated system. But they, So 25 years after I wrote this series of little PC programs, uh, they still were trying to maintain that. Now, admittedly, they never had to alter it in all those 25 years. They never had to change anything. It always continued to function. The way I designed it, it worked well. I'm, you know, puffed up here saying, you know, I did a good job and stuff. But nonetheless, the point is that there's lots of software. Once it works and once the person that wrote it walks away, it's just basically a grit my teeth and hope to hell I can keep this thing running. <laughs> Uh, as aspect of the government. And they're still that way. That's reassuring. That's what all the mainframe shit is like that, right? Mm. And by, by the way, you know, you can buy used mainframes on eBay for like $100. Right. So if I wanted to seriously get into, you know, that kind of thing, but it's not even necessary. With a three or four Raspberry Pi uh, single board computers uh, locked together as a supercomputer, I can run uh, any number of Linux programs and write an emulating program to emulate almost any mainframe operation. Mm. And you do, don't you? <laughs> Shh. No, no. Actually, actually, now I'm much more intrigued by uh, artificial intelligence. Right, right. And that's that's really what I've been diving deep into, and and that's why we isn't made your isn't your web bot kind of an artificial intelligence already? Uh, well, yeah, it had a part of it. Okay, so. Um, all right, so artificial intelligence is is not really intelligence. It's just a smart software uh, that has the ability to get new data, and the program was open enough to be able to accept new data and alter its behavior based on that new data. 
Mm. My problem was that I had had part of that at the time, which was the machine learning. And that's why it all crapped out with the blue chickens was because of this, this thing called clean label poisoning. Okay. So when you have machine learning, you can't write a software program and say, okay, software program, go on out and learn about, uh, this particular aspect of our world. You have to actually define what that software program is going to be learning on to this incredibly tedious level. Mm. Okay, so you have to build a clean data set. And, that's, and the data set is called as, as having a clean label. So all of the items within that data set have to be individually poured over and looked at by a human and made sure that they meet the criteria to train this particular neural net. Usually this is used in a neural net kind of a software uh, where you don't really care about how the software derives its uh, conclusions, the intervening steps. You just want to be able to replicate that so that you know that it reaches that same conclusion over and over again, and you throw away all these potentially millions of intervening steps to get the conclusion. And the machine, quote, learns by shoving stuff into database, and if your software is... Uh, well-written, you can extract from that database a new representation of the knowledge base you're attempting to look at. And and I had such a thing, and it was working tediously badly, continuously, year after year after year, so I was constantly having to clean the data by hand. And uh, But even so, it was partially a neural net, and I ran into an issue of where the data got polluted on me in an area that I had always considered to be clean. And it was because the blue chickens had an entree into a particular data set uh, uh, area of production, yeah. and, and I didn't know it. They, they, they worked like an enhancer of your own echo, because already you have the problem. If you put out a prediction, people would talk about that, then you have to filter that away, right. because it's a self-pollution. And then they come in, seize it, and become a megaphone, and, and amplify that noise. Correct, right? correct. That's kind of exactly. in layman terms. That was exactly the case. They, it dominated the other data sets such that we kept drilling in on my own stuff. And they originally had stolen those memes from my own data and regurgitated them with that megaphone. Yeah. And within a short period of time, everything started to break. Mm. And so that's when uh, circumstances forced me to look at, circum- at things differently. And I went off and did the crypto world and involved myself in doing that. But this explains to a far extent why you're so annoyed with that. Oh, I'm so pissed. <laughs> because they hurt you. Oh, yeah, they well, hurt you see, where it counts. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Okay, so it, it's even worse than that. Okay, and I got to admit some human frailty here. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That the reason that I hold the grudge so fiercely, it has to do with the cancer. All right. So I was struggling with the death of my brother, the death of my parents, the death of my in-laws, my wife's degrading health. All the while, I didn't know I had a giant cancer in me that was degrading all of my energy. Mm -hmm. And during this period of time from perhaps, well, from certainly from 2015 onward, I had to keep spending longer and longer and longer amounts of time in this clean data process, what I called tuning the emotional engine, as I went through all this language and readjusted all these values. And instead of it taking, it had taken like, you know, nine days to start with, and then got to taking 18 days. Mm -hmm. And this was like 18 days of incredible long hours uh, doing this tedious work. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it went from 2015 up to 18 uh, days within this process, uh, each and every time I issued a report was entirely due to the the effect that was being put out there by a uh, Gaia TV, which was the megaphone yeah. for the blue chick. 
months, right? Yeah. And so they they actually cost me uh, caused me physical suffering mm-hmm. because I was doing all of this uh, in terrible health. And, you know, then I'm not blaming them for what the, the fact that doctors couldn't understand that I had cancer and all of this kind of stuff. But nonetheless, I'm just blaming them for adding to my karma, but also thanking them for, you know. Hey, with, without cancer, I mean, uh, anybody would. Uh, still be pissed. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. Pissed, right. But, but I'm just saying that, you know, that actually burned a hole in my colon uh, as wow. I had that cancer there. And, yeah. and of course, so that's locked into my body is this. Um, and it's not hatred is it's, it's not even really anger. Uh, and, and as I say, I'm actually, uh, grateful at a karmic level and can acknowledge that to the blue chickens for causing me so much suffering because obviously I burnt out that part of my karma relative to that suffering in this life and need not face it in another, another life. And so with pro quo, so yeah. And and as Buddha said, suffering is uh, gasoline for growth to paraphrase him. Correct. So I'm going to help the blue chickens grow. <laughs> no, but it's interesting that they're collapsing at the same time as you're getting rid of your cancer. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It, it's fitting at that level, right? Poetic justice. But you know, so, so the, you know, so, but at that level, see, so it was clean label poisoning. I had a neural yeah. net system that helped me uh, because I had a I had a dictionary that was at that point because it was in many languages uh, was well over three million words. Mm-hmm. And, and so in order to, to tune that, I had a neural net process that did the preliminary work for me. And that's where the clean label poisoning came in and that, that I kept struggling with and struggling with. And then at the same time, I have to acknowledge that there was this creeping thing of censorship that slammed down on us in 2016, just yeah. as the uh, blue chicken cult was at its peak. Mm-hmm. And so it all, all really hit me. And then I went through and here we are today, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, the guy's name that we couldn't remember, Seth Rich, of course. Seth yes, Rich. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He, he deserves uh, to be remembered. Exactly. By the yeah. way, the, uh, you're coming into shadow banning now. Uh, people don't realize that the adpocalypse and uh, YouTube gate is much bigger than just uh, spoiled brats losing money. Could you explain <laughs> yeah. easily in layman terms the shadow banning phenomenon that we are so struck with at, at our shows? Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, it has to do with the idea that since uh, they control search, all right, so search is key when you have bazillions of things to look at. And in a human attention market, there's bazillions of things to potentially occupy your attention. And so for you to find them, you have to go through search in some form. So the people that control search control your perception of what reality is. And so they can do any number of things to the search algorithm of which you will be unaware unless you actually look at what you're being presented and think about it, mm. that will change your perception. And so this is where we come into shadow banning. And it is, it is uh, even in Twitter where they shadow ban showing you uh, particular tweets and so on, uh, because you're talking in a, do- a bunch of words that is bad language and mama says you shouldn't use that. Even then, they won't necessarily forbid you to, to do that. Their way of shadow banning you is time. So, for instance, uh, shadow banning on Twitter is that I write a tweet that I think is just brilliant and I push the go button and it might be nine hours later I get a response back to it because it's finally showing up on somebody's timeline. Mm -hmm. Whereas it used to be 
three seconds, right? Re- real time, yeah. Mm. Correct, near real time, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. But now there's a, an element on it that says, slow down. They you learned know, this, got, I think they learned this from Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Facebook started that long ago. Long ago, and, mm. and uh, they've really gotten good at it, or, or prolific at it. Twitter is also doing that now. In fact, I had to tweak my advertisement. I, I realize I've seen helpless people who put up like, it's not called tweets on Facebook, but whatever it's called. They put up like five, six in a row. They don't realize that those posts are competing with each other for the attention of the person's listeners. Yeah, I realized I had to wait at least 12 hours before putting out a new post so as to maximize the impact of my post. See what I mean? Correct. Correct. And so you're actually analyzing what is you're interacting with and responding to yeah. uh, the, the algorithm and what it's doing with you. And so we've seen that in this last round, what they did at YouTube uh, was to heighten the shadow banning. So in, once they took away the recommended uh, things where you had the ability as a creator to recommend fellow creators that you thought was harmonious with your work mm. to your audience once that was taken away and then they had the general recommendations and ultimately it's now it's just recommendations for only the mainstream guys that pay them shitloads of money yeah. uh, but the they tried started doing other aspects of the shadow banning on YouTube and again it's done through search and control there so if I were to go and hunt for um, any of the personalities in the woo-woo world. Now, the woo-woo world is interesting because it's all full of conspiracy language about all kinds of things, space aliens and all of this kind of stuff. And so for the great, uh, is greatly dismissed, and, but it is one of those areas that is intensely occupied, uh, the uh, algo- algorithm creators for the various parts of YouTube. And they it's sort of like a test bed because it is so prolific of, of um, prohibited words and thoughts. Uh, that this is where you've got to go check your algorithms out if you want to deal with it. So the people in the in the woo-woo world that get impacted by these algorithms will do so long before the algorithms are expressed in the larger domains uh, of inter- entertainment on, on YouTube. And politics. So we, correct, and all the others. And we mm. get it here first, and we get it here worst, mm. is, is basically where we're at, right? Mm. But one of the things they're now doing is that when you search for, let's say we're going to hunt for uh, David Wilcock on YouTube, And um, two things about that. David Wilcock, when you hunt for him in a search uh, there, now they're trying to show you only the exact number of actual videos in which David Wilcock is involved. Okay. And used to be. You mean personally or just his name? Just, well, no, no. Uh, in the video itself, you have to say the name David Wilcock because they ran into this situation where people were putting on shoe ads and 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 any other kind of thing, but they were just putting David Wilcock in the in the description line or in the tagline in order to get as clickbait to try and drive traffic, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they ratcheted down on that, and David Wilcock got quite uh, flustered and pissed off because he thought he was any any told everybody he was being personally targeted that there were 5 million videos of his out there uh, on YouTube and they took it down to 3 million or 2 million and 1 million and so on right Mm -hmm. and what's happening was he didn't recognize or was uh, chose to ignore (laughs) that um, the number of times the Mm -hmm. repetition of his name and description and taglines influenced how many times it showed up in search Uh, so but they did actually alter the search and they're trying to uh, change the way that search works for those kind of things to where it's much more accurate and he can't be ballooned out of proportion. But there's another aspect of this. When I search for David Wilcock, now I'm presented with 
only old videos. Hmm. Okay, because what they there's a subtle clue there. Oh, well, there's no new video here. Why, geez, look, the top dog last <laughs> video is, is seven months old. This mm. guy is, you know, mm. fallen off the, the YouTube wagon or, or isn't making videos anymore. I better mm. go and look for something else to look at. Mm-hmm. Not, not knowing that if you just went on up and changed the search parameter to sort it based on um, Dates, right. current, current time, mm. current time, you'd end up with a, a ton more that you just aren't being presented with. Right. And so they determined that they're using all of these subtle techniques to try and influence your mind uh, and these are the techniques of shadow banning yeah. they're not actually banning Wilcock videos they're whittling him down now they're not even doing it to David Wilcock he's not big enough to warrant getting fucked with personally or, or he's not actually uh, being uh, a real system critic enough <laughs> Uh, they need decoys like him. Correct. He's a he's a player. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a real example that I noticed because everything I know is just things I've observed and learned that way. Well, sure. And one thing I did observe for the longest time, I made it go sport in liking good videos of other. Because I believe in the synergetic effect, not the old school scarcity competition model. But you rub my back, I rub yours. What goes around comes around. So, okay. Sure. So I liked a bunch of. Uh, lo and behold, usually subversive, system power critical. And <laughs> what happened was that they didn't even show up. I was annoyed. Hey, I'm clicking like. Why isn't it on my liked videos? I went back. I refreshed. I clicked. It took me a long time to realize it's deliberately buried. They won't even show it. The only way they would show it if it was if I went into the playlist itself and scroll through and it. And mucked with the settings. Yeah, but but on the front page of my channel, stuff like, uh, let's say, uh, Corbett Report wouldn't show up. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's not a channel that wouldn't show up. It was the video. Sometimes some of their videos would show up, sometimes not. It depended on what the video was about. Again, pointing to an algorithmic uh, match or trigger, right? Correct. So that's... A, that soft censorship deluxe, if ever there was one, it's invisible where it counts. You see what I mean? Sure, sure. But look what it's, where it's going to go. Let's project a little bit here, too. They, they've been getting better at it. Okay, they're hiring smarter and smarter people. Mm. But right now, the big thing that, uh, I mean, we could go into various different aspects of this for hours, including the problems that the tech, big tech companies are having hiring uh, senior uh, talented people at the software engineering and the programming levels. They're having a real problem with it. And then there's all this bad code they're trying to maintain and it's sucking down all kinds of resources. But nonetheless, let's look at the idea that over time, the algorithms are going to get uh, better and more um, expansive in what they're, what they're able to do. There's the other aspect of it, of it and that is that it takes one brilliant idea and one dedicated 16-year-old uh, to code an elegant, released into the wild, uh, you know, public domain solution to all of this. So say that there's AI that gets to the point where it really, really, really uh, can screw with the results that uh, it presents to you on YouTube. Doesn't take much for an individual with a few hours uh, of time and the skills and the interest to sit down and write their own AI that would take the output from the JavaScript queries on YouTube's uh, post and Git statements 
and craft an AI to get you exactly what you want out of YouTube and bypass all the ads. Yeah, for that person. Yeah, that person. But what about everybody else? That's that's why we get back to the idea that the hacker community is morphing. It's growing and it's morphing. This, I think, is a is a natural response to the conditions under which we are living now uh, within the system of objects uh, here. Okay, what used to be called consumerism, I'm calling a system of objects. And that within this system of objects, we now find that the uh, people we dynamically praise, if we're young enough to be aware of them even, are the uh, the cool kids on the block or the hackers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the next cool group after that, the ones that really feed them, are the gamers. Mm. And the, and the gamers, everybody bemoans all these kids being locked into this um, uh, symbiotic relationship with their screens and these games all the time. But some of them are actually able to become uh, uh, wealthy because of the cachet upon which we put uh, on these games. And, and also bear in mind that some of the poor, cheap, crappy games are having um, mega competitions that draw more people and spend more money than the Super Bowl. And and so they're huge and they're gigantic and there's a, a big chunk of our social order of the new generations that are involved in games. And from there, we get the hacker crowd who want to game, yeah, right. who, who look up from the game they're playing to see the system running the game and say, I want to game that. Mm. And I love these kids. They are just, many of them are, are ethical beyond the beyond anything I would have expected to have seen. There in is my, some kind of moral there. Exactly. And there, and it's beyond what I would have seen in my generation. Mm. We've got guys that are, are dedicated to live without money because it's not necessary. They can make money in any number of ways as they need it. Mm. And they're not particularly worried about their future because they see themselves living in this system of objects and the system never going away. Ergo, why should I be concerned about saving for my retirement when I know that when it comes time to that, I'll just hack whatever money I need out of that system, right? Yeah. As long as money is, is numbers in a computer. Yeah. Exactly. And as long as the computers exist and electricity exists and so on, mm. it is an entirely different philosophy. And they've never known any other world, whereas I personally have. Yeah. So I can envision that world that we're in right now not existing. Mm. But um, but they can't. And so I cannot find flaw in their philosophical approach. And as I say, I applaud these kids because they've turned their minds to self to education, not schooling. And they've educated themselves on how the system of objects works that is enslaving most of their peers and has dominated their life. And they are quite literally, quite actually hacking the system. And that's what they do. Mm. So they're training. So the games are training them to take on bigger tasks and more important tasks in the future. I've always regarded these gaming YouTube vids that gets millions of hits. They're the male equivalent to the bimbos who put out hair videos and makeup videos. But the big <laughs> difference, the big difference, like you're pointing out, is that these guys are actually getting a useful education and they're using it against the system. So it's actually for a, in, in the long run for a better course. So so now, um, yeah, you've yeah. Uh, whitewashed them in my eyes. Well, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to whitewash them. I'm just no, but that's the effect of what you said anyway. So right, okay, and so I'm just wanting to point out the balance, right? I'm a Taoist. Everything Mm. exists in in a state of balance or imbalance, but everything, but the universe is a self-correcting system, and there there is dichotomy everywhere, duality, and so even within the hacking community, being portrayed as the ultimate bad guys, the ones causing all the problems that are you know hacking Tesla cars and all this kind of shit, even within that. uh, description of them, I find many truly heroic individuals yeah. that meet all the criteria for being a hero in my eyes. And I got some tough criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find that extremely encouraging. It didn't exist in my generation. My whole generation uh, ran up against the, in at least in the, in the United States, <clears throat> we burnt, were burnt out in the uh, anti-war efforts, right? Yeah. And, and, and all of that kind of stuff, and we were derailed and so on. And there were just an extremely small number of individuals that managed to rise out of that stew <coughs> to take this particular path. Now, <coughs> I look and I see um, the post-millennial generations, a very large, in my opinion, very significant segments of that population are within the Venn diagram of these, uh, from which we get this, this admirable subpopulation. And it only takes that one 16 year old. What what age group are are you referring to here? Oh, I'm talking 12 year olds to say 40 year olds, right? I mean, uh, Kintaro, let's see, what's he? He's millennials are like 30. So that's millennials, 20, 30. That's millennials, right? Uh, I think millennials are our 20s, 30s, right? But it's the post-millennial yeah. generation that I'm usually dealing with. Kids so are, about under 20, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, or under under 20, and then there's a, another group that's like 40s to 50s, right? So maybe early millennials. No, um, that's Generation X. Okay, Generation X then. Yeah, I know, because I'm there. Oh, okay, all right then. Okay, so Kentaro, I think, is Generation X. Okay, and he's a famous guy out of Japan and uh, a hero hacker, right? Mm-hmm. He's more firmware, but in any event, though, so... Yeah, we had the first ha- hackers, that's right. We had the first hackers, our generation. Mm-hmm. Go on. Right, because I, I was in my 30s when computers were really... Yeah, you don't I, count. You're like, you're like... No, no, I'm an old fart. Right, right. <laughs> no, no, but, but you're, like, you're like a dinosaur who, who <laughs> actually managed to put on um, a monkey suit and live on with us uh, monkeys. <laughs> you know what I mean? You didn't die out. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. I know. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, it, okay, so, so in any event, though, so I'm, I'm dealing with the 16-year-old groups that in the hacking community. And, uh, and as I say, these kids... Kids, you know, they're exemplary. When so we can take I don't know how old Tim Pool is. I think he's late millennials. So he's probably yeah. late twenties or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he represents that uh and he is a an icon to this hacking generation. And and as I say, it's only going to take that one 16-year-old to make all these connections and put all this together. And then when he does that, he'll just set up a GitHub account and release it into the wild. Mm. And after that, it's like nobody can stop it. It's on its own, right? Mm-hmm. The truly, truly distributed uh, aspect of uh, our social order. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so if we examine at a very core level, uh, and absurdly, everybody's going to think this is stupid to even think about it this way, but it points to something that is so slap you in the face, it's hard to deny. Humanity ain't centralized. We're distributed. 
We're decentralized. Every human is a, is an island. Okay, all humans must cooperate. Yeah, by nature, you mean by nature. By nature, correct. Yeah. As a Taoist, I look to nature yeah. for all of my guiding principles, and the guiding principle is that all of us humans are in fact isolated individual creatures, and that actually causes many of our desperate needs to to feel community connection, uh, um, cohesiveness, right? And it drives that because we truly are isolated. Uh, explains the predicament we're in because the system has never been more centralized than today so th there is an inherent clash between nature Correct. and the system yeah. and what do you what is the system attempting to do it's attempting to systematically control the ultimate decentralized environment mm -hmm. so it is doomed to never succeed in spite of the fact that it has a goal of total control it'll never ever succeed and the closer it comes to succeeding the more that that distributed uh, central or distributed environment of humanity is going to react to that attempt and become more uncontrollable. And this so an X factor will emerge. Correct. Correct. Mm. At its zenith, the empire is the weak weakest because mm. its next step is downward. Mm -hmm. Good point. Okay, and so you know this is this is just the nature of the reality in which we're in. Now, the reality that we're in at the moment is that the empires are no longer going to be geopolitical; they are going to be digital. And so we're going to start seeing different empires clashing on the digital environment because it's now safe to do so. And we're in fact even seeing that. Look at recently here in the United States, there was a big brouhaha about Epoch Times. Okay, Epoch Times is part of a media company called New Tang Dynasty. As the name implies, it's Chinese. Uh, the, these particular subset of Chinese that form New Tang Dynasty are practitioners and adherents to a cult called uh, Falun Dafa. Oh, Falun Gong. Falun Gong, correct. Yeah. Okay, and New Tang Dynasty is their media arm. Mm -hmm. Okay, New Tang Dynasty is their army, their empire, as their name implies, dynasty, that is going to be multi-generational. Its goal is to be the Falun Dafa, Falun Gong's uh, presence digitally in these wars that are going on in the digital environment. But they're also financing neocon politicians in America, war-mongering politicians. No, no, I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm just saying, look at the environment in which we're in. Yeah. Uh, now that we're moving to these digital environments. So, so the, it's, it's gotten to the point where if you get on YouTube here in the United States and you're within the conspiracy world, you cannot avoid the Epoch Times ads. Ah, so 80% right. so of the people on YouTube are male. Uh, males have particular susceptibility to specific kinds of ads. Epoch Times is using all of the correct words within their ads. Their ads are extremely well produced. I mean, I got to give them serious credit for being um, the state of the art in digital or in uh, video advertising on YouTube for their particular purpose. Mm. And I, they should probably get awards for the, uh, you know, there's nothing <laughs> spectacular. They're just good. Their mm. language is good. They're tight. They're controlled. They're going to be very effective. And mm. this has got all kinds of people upset because they've seen now that a, a certain amount of money allows a disenfranchised group to become maybe a major dominant player in some of our digital landscape. So there's the rub. Because digital world, sci-fi world is dynamic and is energetic and is no longer time 
based in the sense of, um, in fact, our time scale is shifted. As I alluded to earlier, computers sit there and sit there most of the time just looking at the clock, looking at that uh, piezoelectric bit of crystal vibrate, waiting for you to do something so it can interact. But it, but it's looking at that clock 32,000 times a second, more or less. And so we're so we're now operating at a world where, where time is sliced at that level. And as a result of that, uh, things can happen dynamically that have never, ever been able to happen before, where actual digital world could be overturned overnight the same way that guy got burned by a $100,000 advertising bill just because he was a little bit uh, tipsy when he put in that advertising contract. You could mm -hmm. go to bed one night and wake up in the morning because that 16-year-old kid wrote that chunk of software and released it out in the world. Your whole world could change. Now, the powers that be have a have a UFO problem here with us. Okay? And in in the UFO world, they say the powers that be can never admit that UFOs exist at a serious level because it shows how weak they are and they won't be the powers that be anymore because they can't keep our airspace from being violated and humans from being abducted and anal probed. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, that's one perspective. Or hybridized. Yeah, yeah. But that, no, that's the one that is most commonly referred to as one of the primary reasons for our current secrecy around UFOs and all of this uh, technology. No, well, we, we just, it's funny because I, I sat on a show for a year, not deliberately, but we're so slow getting stuff out. I sat on a show for a year, got it out on YouTube, went to bed, woke up the next morning and it was among our top video. It had done as well as, you know, videos being out there for three years. It had like 100,000 overnight. I was shocked to my core, and that was uh, the secret space program thing. Yeah, got it. And there we flaunt another uh, approach, and it may not be either or, like you know we pointed out. And that's that they don't want us to know that it is human technology, because obvi for obvious reasons, better let them think it's alien, and then. Uh, let the wackos run with it and let the masses be numb to it. But, but, I, I'm not saying it's either or. I, I think it's a, right. maybe a both, it's both and. and. Yeah, yeah. But, but here's, here's the situation. Getting back to the both and part of that as well. Let me, in finishing this thought here yeah, on these kids. Sure. Okay, so... So the powers that be have a situation here where the dynamic nature of the internet and the fact that time is happening at 32,000 times a second instead of the clock ticking once a second means that the acceleration of events is so uh, potentially fast as to sweep the chairs out from underneath them literally overnight. Mm. And they fear this greatly. And so their UFO problem is us. We are the UFOs to the powers that be because, <laughs> because we yeah. could be weaponized and, and we could be a, uh, the, the unsettling, um, event that just occurs and they cannot stop it. They can't see it coming. They know it's coming. They, all of the scientists they hire hypothesize and predict that it's coming without mm. being able to say when it's coming. And they're doing everything they can to set up all sorts of roadblocks to prevent it coming. But mm. in essence, even the smart ones in the powers that be know that every single roadblock that they set up actually is going to the point of universe, which is to train and challenge that mind even more to get it to occur. We are the X factor. I love it. Yes. 
Yes, mm. we're dangerous. We're we're really dangerous. <laughs> mm. You know. Wow. Well, you know, like uh, what what was that um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Galaxy. After the Earth, yeah. after the Earth was destroyed, we were mostly harmless. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But by the way, I'm going to ask you about the bot farms and all that. But one thing first, um, all right. the dark web, you mentioned it before today. I'd like you to explain that shortly, briefly in uh, layman terms, too. Sure, sure. It's real, real simple. OK, you know that all of the web is actually uh, files on a server. OK, mm-hmm. so your your web page is actually a file on a server someplace. That file has a, a, a label Uh, Whatever its name is, the last few letters of that uh, file are HTML. Right. Okay? All right. So uh, the dark web, and and so they can search, Google and all these people can search uh, and put into their database any file that's got a something, 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 .htm, .html, .xml. PHP. Exactly. Any of these particular extensions on the file name are part of the internet. And so there's a, a transfer protocol, the HTTPS, that transfers files based on what their file name is, basically. Okay? That's really what it amounts to. Mm-hmm. All right. The dark web has a .onion. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's literally? a literally it's a file name, it's a group of file names that have a different or it's file names that have a group of different extensions on the end of it. Actually dot onion called the onion network or the tor network. Okay, to get at it. Oh yeah, tor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Mm. So so okay, so the tor network refers to the torrents uh streaming, etc. And to get at the dark web, you have to use a special kind of a browser called a Tor browser. Most of the Tor browsers that are out there use an onion as their symbol for peeling back. Oh, I tried that, but, but it wouldn't let me into Facebook or anything. It was like warning, warning. No, 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 no. It doesn't, doesn't do any of that. Okay, so it doesn't look at any HTML pages at all. Oh, its okay. point it is to point to look at the others the dot onion pages okay but you've got to know what the hell you're doing when you go out on the dark web right. because it's not like the html in the sense that your ip address and all of these kind of things leave trails on the dark web as to who you are uh and many of the places on the dark web are um traps uh, they have traps in there to get information out of you, and it'll cause you some real serious problems to get out there not knowing what you're doing. It's not right. uh, the the clean, nice corporate HTML world. This is the true dark <laughs> web. Mm. You can get you can get you know lose your your probably potentially your life. This, this is in shamanic terms the underworld. Okay, and exactly. Let's look at mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. The problem, the the thing about the dark web is the um. Oh, okay, the thing about the internet that most people don't understand, they think that Google uh, indexes the internet. Mm-hmm. And and you ask people, well, what does Google do? Well, they they go and they index the internet and keep a track of all of the pages, and and I can search it, and they tell me where the stuff is. And and you say, well, okay, and you think Google ever misses anything? Oh, yeah, I imagine Google misses a few pages because, you know, I'm creating a page now and they won't know about it until they look at it. Mm-hmm. And then you, you you become shocked to understand that that Google only indexes 3% of the Internet. Wow. And that's 3% of the HTML pages. Oh, not, wow. not 3% of everything. <laughs> right. Just 
just 3% of the HTML pages. And this is Google's, and they're working their ass off just to maintain these humongous large databases that are so large, whole buildings are devoted to getting rid of the heat from the computers. And and uh, they're they're working their ass off just to maintain an index of only three percent of the internet, mm-hmm. and and this is three uh, percent of the HTML, let alone the dark web. So when you go on the dark web, there are not search engines, at least none that I would trust. Mm-hmm. So, but it's an entirely different. Uh, so you have uh, to know where you're going then. It's kind of like you know, if you gotta ask. Uh, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And usually I go there because I'm invited to specific events or mm-hmm. uh, there's a, somebody that I know that has sent me a specific um, uh, point of reference to stuff. Now, here's the beauty of this. Wait a minute. What Wasn't the Ross thing, wasn't that his problem that he actually offered something similar, only made it whiter in a way, more accessible to people? Yeah, but it, people were being harvested as a result. Because, mm. see, the thing is that the – I don't want to get into more people with technical details. No. Okay, but but I get really paranoid going onto the dark web, and I might use like three or four VPNs and wow. two, interco- two interconnected Tor browsers. Because the real weakness of the, of the dark web is when you jump onto it and jump off, uh, you expose your true IP addresses and these kind of things. And there's people that are at those uh, junction points that have, have traps. Is file sharing a part of it, like uh, peer-to-peer? Oh, sure, 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 sure. And the, the, I say the beauty of the dark web to me, though, is that if you want to talk whistleblowers, there's whistleblowers out there in abundance. If someone was a real legitimate journalist and they had some way of not being shot in the head for getting this information, <laughs> they could go out on the Internet and have an entire career uh, just harvesting uh, freely available information on the dark web that whistleblowers have put up about all the dirty deeds being done everywhere. But I mean like mainstream file sharing, like uh, Vues, uh, Aceros, I don't know what they're all called, like uh, torrent file sharing. Sure, that kind of stuff. Uh, am, am I risking anything doing that? Because uh, they have mainstream browsers, uh, not browsers, but they have these uh, software that does it for you and kind of protects you. No, 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 no. You can't. Dark web isn't like that. Anybody trying to sell you that is uh, trying to scam you. Uh-oh. Okay, it is. There are streaming services out there. For instance, I know streaming services for software, and even moody, movies and stuff on on the dark web. And, and music. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't do music, so I so I just don't know them, right? No good. But but I will I will look at videos, and I and I certainly uh, go through the software. Um, but uh, it's dangerous. I mean, we can't because not only are there uh, legitimate bad actors out there, but there's also the professional organizations trying to yeah. keep their skills up, right? And so you you get all of the um, uh, the CIA kind of guys and everything training on the dark web in in what they think are isolated sandboxes, and they sure as hell hope that they're isolated, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which sometimes they're not. But anyway, so uh, so strange stuff happens out there. But it is the saving grace of humanity: the fact that that most people don't understand that 97% of the legitimate internet is not indexed mm-hmm. and you'd have a hard time finding. And then most of the internet is not this legitimate HTML. There's far more activity happening on the dark web. Um, uh, that's, that's really, I think, as I say, the savior for humanity mm-hmm. because it'll always be constantly boiling and they, and will never be uh, shoehorned into the social media exclusively. That's the frontier you talked about then. Correct. And unfortunately, you know, it's been overused, but the idea of a digital frontier. Now, it, a digital frontier does not remove 
or does not provide the safety valve that we saw within um, uh, Blade Runner, for instance, or many of these dystopian near near term future movies, right, where mm-hmm. the Earth is under environmental stress of whatever cause. Uh, and one of the things you can do is flee to other planets if you're pissed off at the ruling organizations and the structure and the over overbuiltness and so on here of our, our little planet. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that yet. Uh, but I suspect it we're not that far off. I'm hoping it's only three or four years. Okay. Interesting. We'll we look out for that. But uh, um, I remember back in the day there was uh, some software that was taken down that had this principle. I guess dark web. It was this music. What was it called? Oh, oh you're talking about the the Napster, the file. Yeah, file. stuff like that. No, no, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That ran on HTML though. See, that was. Oh, on the, okay. That okay. that was on the um, legitimate uh, side of things. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, hey, we have we are pressed for time actually. When I consider what's left to discuss and where we're at, sure. So let's uh, see if you can comprise the. Because one thing I'm noticing in our shows is that some shows nothing will happen, and some for a weird reason get targeted. Like if we discuss the Bormann and especially the Hitler survival, we get shills, bots, trolls, and whatnot. The, yeah. and, and the same goes, by the way, for the classified space program. So I'm wondering if you could, and, and how can we know the difference? I mean, okay. I've been good at uh, tangoing with some of these. I'm, I'm doing a sociological study in these kind of uh, responses. Every, anything that's not legitimate commenters. I don't mean any negative comments. Criticism is good. But I'm talking about agenda-driven or just, uh, you know, just trolling or, or bots sure. or whatever. And so I'm, I'm discussing with them and then I can kind of, uh, becomes kind of apparent whether, you know, very apparent this is a bot. And then, hmm, this must be a shill. Uh, this is just a troll. But, uh, you know, it's very yeah, interesting yeah. for me. I'm learning a lot. Uh, they don't read. They think they're distracting my energy, which is often the point, right? But no, no. And also, we uh, we do it with humor. So it becomes entertaining for other people to see it. Because in general, we have above average intelligence in our uh, comment fields from listeners. And, the, uh, and and if it wasn't like that, it would be much harder to smoke out trolls and shills, right? But because we have... Uh, rather lucid, more articulate, yeah, yeah. articulate yeah. anything. So, so then it becomes uh, even easier. But I want you to give us a take on on this phenomenon. Uh, well, it's easy to write them. Okay, so anybody that wants to know can go on out and just put in chat slash bots, and uh, there's a bunch of free ones you can go and download and run on your own machine and interact with. And they're written in dozens and dozens of languages. I was just actually uh, yesterday looking at some code in Prolog for a chat bot. Um, and, uh, you can make them, uh, uh, usually they just come with slogans. Well, there's, there's the rub. They have to have something to work off of, right? So they have to have a knowledge base that they're representing. And so a chatbot is a very crude form of AI. All AI, by the way, it will never, ever be sentient. No software will ever be sentient. We never have to worry about AI that way. We have to worry about the evil scum that's going to be using the AI. But all AI is, is, is the, um, uh, uh, sort of a self-referential or, or self-cleaning uh, form of a database. The software is not aware of you, but they've got to have a knowledge base from which to to work. And so you you 
you hit the, the exact nail on the head, so to speak here. Linguistically, you can look at a, at a comment and say, oh, well, that's an articulate human expressing a complex thought. And this other statement is emotionally flat or it's emotionally uh, very tense, uh, but it's uh, uh, crudely expressed, few words uh, in a um, very simplistic fashion and uh, doesn't use a lot of compound structures or, um, you know, um, interesting linguistic structures. And so you can tell that way that, that one of them is likely to be automated. And because it's working off of a narrow uh, knowledge base and is thus uh, limited in its responses and will soon, as you point out. And if I have to pick up on the words you use, right, in order to give a reply? Correct. Exactly mm -hmm. so. Exactly mm -hmm. so. So you can, you can have a reply to somebody and I'll do that I, I used to. I don't do it anymore because I just don't have the time, and nor do I have the inclination. But it, when I suspected that I would be dealing with things that were a bot or I suspected that someone had posted uh, something that was a bot, uh, I, yeah, I would reply with something that was out of domain. Okay, so if the subject of a video on a, and a comment on a video I suspected was a bot and the subject of the video uh, was chocolate, then I, I might respond to something about it with a horse or, you know, a dolphin. Because if it is echoed in a particular way, then it's a bot simply echoing back my own language. Yeah. If, on the other hand, the guy comes back and says, eh, what the hell, dude? <laughs> you know, yeah. th then you've got an idea that you're dealing with a consciousness, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But you talked about bot farms in a video. So. Okay, now that's, that's different, though. Okay, those kind of bot farms are a tool. Okay, so what they do is they have these racks that are uh, huge sometimes, uh, but let's just say that there's a rack that holds uh, a dozen phones on it. All the phones are wired uh, to a central controlling computer, and each of the phones is given an individual IP address as though it was being held by an individual human, and, the, and they try and get the IP addresses as scattered as widely as possible so it doesn't look like they're all showing up from Da Nang right. um, at the same time, right? And then they, they have a software that has these phones act like a regular human thumbing through uh, things in Facebook or on YouTube or on Twitter or any of the other social media where advertising is involved. And uh, that's how they gain advertising. And so what they'll do is they'll have uh, a farm go and have hundreds, potentially, maybe even thousands of cheap phones all watching uh, a YouTube video that they were paid to have the, that's bought views. And so when they buy yeah, a view. Hang on, let me tell you something quick. Sure. Uh, at the end of when I did uh, a Facebook advertisement, back when I, I run that school, I noticed something strange happening because I was paying for, for clicks, right? I, I didn't want to pay for views. I want to pay for actual because I figured if I can make them see my stuff, then it's my job to make them come into my page, click through. Right. If they don't do that, that's on me. Right. All I want is to get that exposed. And that worked like a charm. Then suddenly gradually and started to notice all these you know, like Asian dudes like Chinese and Indian and they were completely this doesn't uh, Arabian name this doesn't cope with my message and my target group what the suck is going on here right and that's right. when I realized I can't trust this stuff anymore somehow uh, I thought it was Facebook that was bullshitting me yeah like giving a lot of fake accounts uh, just to you know no, take no, no, my no. money no 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 Facebook themselves were being gamed. Right. And you were just the also the, you know, the corollary innocent, the uh, collateral damage. Yeah. You were the guy that was actually paying for it all. <laughs> yeah.
And so actually we see some interesting juxtapositions. So for instance, um, I, I kind of chuckle every time I see an Epoch Times ad um, attached to any of the videos I watch because they're never going to sell me anything. The Epoch Times is supporting the blue chicken cult and um, they've just lost the money that yeah. they just paid to my friend because Epoch Times is trying to sell me their stuff through my friend's video, right? Mm -hmm. And and so it's kind of just, it, it's just a, a little curiosity. But these farms, getting back to those, yeah. these farms are just... Um, individual IP addresses, uh, internet protocol addresses that dial up on command for money and, and stream through that device to no intelligence, no consciousness, no person whatsoever, whatever video they're paid to do so. And those are racked up as views. So here we are in a global attention market. We've shifted over from the, in our system of objects from uh, the phase of consumerism and uh, into the phase of uh, attention. Yeah. And here are people gaming the system already and selling attention for humans that are mythical, that don't exist. Fake attention, yeah. Right, fake attention. Mm -hmm. And the advertisers are, are rather upset because it's rough, all right? Mm -hmm. As you know from, from being an advertiser, it's rough to make money in the digital world and you can easily do things wrong and the conditions are changing so dynamically that even if you're doing things right today that necessarily it's wrong tomorrow yeah right won't necessarily survive through until tomorrow exactly and you have to learn all over again mm. an entirely new whatever the hell just to be able to keep surviving and that's a full-time job and you're not making that much money at it <laughs> <laughs> right mm. so so it's it's rough out there it's tough and and you really resent putting your money to those bots mm -hmm. and because it's capital that you had to lay out in the hope of getting a return on it and you're not. And they didn't tell you that there's no disclaimer on Facebook saying 12% to 22% of the advertising dollar you're going to spend is going to be wasted on bots. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they got sued by that. And what they do, they paid off the people that sued them just to shut them up so that they wouldn't have a, a general advertiser revolt. But then they had it. The, the, the social media got sued by the advertisers? No, 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 no. Facebook's uh, uh, got sued for way back in the day uh, for advertisers paying for bots, okay, for fake accounts, right? paying for ads on, on fake Facebook accounts. Yeah, so, because everybody probably thought like me, this is Facebook rigging the system. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. And so Facebook got sued, and they paid off the people that sued them so it wouldn't morph into a giant class action. And uh, then they put out the word that they were going to address the bot problem, and then they went on to other stuff, and it, and it sort of disappeared from people's consciousness. And, but it also, the nature of advertising changed at that point. And, and you saw all different kinds of um, advertising things change. But see, here's the, here's the deal on all of this, and here's why it persists. It's that 200,000 view overnight kind of thing, right? So imagine the, or the, the guy with $100,000 in uh, ad costs. So he, he made a mistake. He put out his, um, his ad. He wakes up in the morning expecting to have, have spent about $2,000. He expected to have spent about $2,000 overnight. And he wakes up to find that he had spent uh, over $100,000. And the two credit cards he was using to back this thing are now maxed out and locked. Mm. Okay. And everybody's calling him and, and it's on his case. Now, it could have been 
that three hours later, he might have been the happiest guy on the planet when it turns out that his advertising was so spot on that for every dollar he spent, uh, he made back 10. But okay? he was tipsy. And to the bots. Yeah, but, no, no, but, yeah, but so, so the moral is don't drink before you do this. But, but the point of the story I'm telling here is the potential exists for that level of return. Okay, right. so, so I was actually doing ads on Twitter where I was able to get an 82% click-through rate. That's, that's good. I know that from Facebook days. That's good. Right. That's phenomenal. And mm. I was doing it on the cheapest possible words that were costing me one third of a cent each mm. as opposed, and I was reaching the audience targeted audience I wanted to reach. Mm -hmm. And the us usual cost on those words were 30 and $40 each mm -hmm. per click through. So, so I knew what I was doing with it and it, and it's possible to do that level of return that one need not worry about that hundred thousand dollar capital expenditure because it's part of a $10 million net gain, right? Yeah. But can't you put a cap anyway on how much you spend? I think you can. Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. He just put his cap in the wrong place, Yeah, right? Yeah, it was all based on time for him and, and he just wasn't paying attention and he put yeah. the cap in the wrong spot. It's very complicated. I, I, I feel for him. It's, it's who can blame him oh yeah yeah and it can and especially yeah especially if you're not a software guy and you don't really have ingrained into you you know <laughs> well anyway anyways yeah. but yeah i feel for feel for him but see he he sort of evened out in the end i think was a small net loss uh, but that's the way it is with all the kinds of advertising your advertising can simply be bad but nonetheless we now have the situation where for basically small money uh, one can get huge returns on advertising. And so the nature of the world has changed. So just as the powers that be now have to contend with PewDiePie and they can't do shit with that guy because he's approaching a hundred million subscribers or some outrageous amount. Um, and he's, you know, he's essentially king of a country larger than Britain mm, by far. Nobody is untouchable. Alex Jones was big too. And, no, no, and no, 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 no. I've I seen PewDiePie that. complain about stuff. So I'm oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And there's, there's irritations. You're going to get the irritations and so on but see they mm. can't just get rid of it and no, their, their problem is yeah, yeah but see the problem is that the way the system is set up the potential for a pewdiepie to be created virtually overnight is going to escalate to where we're actually going to get to the point where it's no longer you know the flavor of the month it'll be the flavor of the minute okay wow. and we're going to have dynamic levels of change within our social uh, operating system, so to speak. That so the digital 15 minutes of fame, the digital version. It's now going to be digital 15 milliseconds. <laughs> and, and yet some of those people will be able to take the, the 15 milliseconds and, and achieve right. for themselves uh, long-lasting intergenerational power. Mm -hmm. And and this has the powers that be really freaked out. Mm -hmm. And they do everything they can to corrupt the system such that those people that get to that level uh, become subsumed in, you know. Yeah, but but see, here's, here's the other part of the equation you haven't touched. And that's that probably precisely because of what you just said, TPTB also do this stuff because I've seen like lame politicians who nobody cares about having lots of Twitter followers and it turns out they are bots sure. and it's the same thing with the polls when you look at the polls today the political polls like primaries and stuff 
it, it, first off, they, they only use landlines so that they make sure only the rich and the old, you know, the clueless people, not representative of the masses. Yeah. And then again, they select special polls so that they get those that are more tweaked in, in favor of what they seek. And then again, you have uh, even rigging of polls. And, and so it's the same thing. Uh, in a way, the attention market online is kind of poll poll uh, related yep. right so if you have like a million followers on twitter it's kind of the same as polls so uh, i think uh, the powers that be also use uh, these bots no certainly certainly they use whatever tools that they find i mean they use the criminal gangs in the in prohibition every bit as much right. as they use the people that were trying to crush the criminal gangs so so i just I, felt that needed to be pointed out too and i i, yeah. I respect that actually and we're in, we're <laughs> in a kind of a funny situation here right Right? Mm-hmm. And just because they're doing that, they, just, they discover it as a useful tool and thereafter they go ahead and, and apply it to their own people and so on. But it does not in any way actually really negate their being subsumed by the same system of objects. So here's basically, if we take any kind of a message here, the people, the individuals that you and I are, are going to be able to communicate will be able to see themselves as a separate, discrete individual human operating in a system of objects that is, is planetary, it is pan-global here, and be able to say to themselves that they are independent of that system of objects, even though it is pushing on them and directing their activities to a certain extent. And they will be become self-aware within the system of objects. The power of the powers that be are as trapped, in my opinion, especially many of the members of the powers that be are as trapped within the system of objects as everyone else, and they're unable to see themselves within mm. that system and see how they themselves are being manipulated by the very tools that they use. They're like the right hand of the body trying to control the entire body. Correct. And, and it is, it is uh, the system of objects is going to become even more complex as we go forward. So it, it could be that you could describe in the time of Plato, an educated man in that uh, world might have been someone that had read four books. Mm. When most of the planet was, was illiterate and didn't read, a truly educated man might have been considered someone that had read four books. And then ultimately, you had to read four books to graduate from college. In fact, in the early days, when you went to college, you were said to have read a course of work. So I might have been a philosopher, and so it was said that I read philosophy at college. And it meant that you had read all the books in philosophy, and you knew philosophy, and you graduated, et cetera, et cetera. And now... An educated person uh, is an educated person with who who admits to a huge area of ignorance in the rest of the world around them. So, in the time of Plato, in the time of the first colleges in uh, uh, Cadiz and Seville, um, in Spain and the Moorish times, even uh, you would have people that would be educated. They would be. Um, cultured as we might say they would have the height yeah. of the culture toledo had the edge of not just being educated but they got inputs from three different cultures and religions put them ahead and and they were also they were also knew all aspects of okay so they knew it all the way down to uh they had an understanding of hygiene and they had an understanding of music they had yeah. an understanding of farming they had an understanding of cooking. multidiscipline so, yeah exactly what we these days place a high value on by calling polymaths 
yeah. people that understand more than one domain. Well, this is going to become extremely uh, key as we go forward simply because of the uh, burgeoning number of new domains that are piling onto us continuously within our digital environment will overwhelm the ability of any consciousness to pay attention to anything other than a small fraction of it. Mm-hmm. Or or we'll have to be serially educated in the sense that, well, in my past, I was educated about X, Y, Z, and today I'm educated about, you know, this aspect of gaming or whatever, you know, and, and so in that, but I'm absolutely abysmally ignorant of, of music or I'm totally ignorant of sports and so on. And so I know nothing of the personalities that are doing anything in there. And I can say quite factually that my level of, uh, personally right now, my actual level of, of knowledge about people in the gaming industry is piss poor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I, I know of, I know of them and of things, but not really about what's going on. Mm. And it's because there's just too much to, um, involve oneself in. So if I'm going to concentrate on artificial intelligence, I can't concentrate on gaming software mm-hmm. or any other aspect of it, those kind of things, right? And as and and the the all of those nasty little rotten 16-year-olds out there are inventing thing, new things to be concerned about, new draws on our attention market faster than I can even catalog them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be getting this word this way and so that's really the singularity it has nothing to do with transhumanism or uh, all of us becoming computers or any of that it actually has to do with conceptually we're going to be facing uh, a world in which we try and define ourselves amongst ultimate freedom that ultimate freedom being the freedom to place your attention on anything you choose to uh, want to do it and there is more choices than you could ever even catalog in a lifetime let alone explore Mm-hmm. But this uh, attention uh, battle, uh, you can see that in that it's been revealed that the powers that be, and with that I mean not just state actors like Intel, but even like private corporations, Monsanto for example, they hire, I guess it's what's called troll farms, but they have hire shills, they hire people who are supposed to go out there and… Rep- reputation management. Yes, they, they, yeah. Either they want to debunk something, like uh, on our Hitler. We have one guy on uh, the Hitler escape, uh, one of the Hitler escape video. He's assigned to comment on any, you know, like lucid person uh, showing signs of getting, oh, maybe this is something in it. And then he comes with his ready debunking stuff. It's like he's monitoring that. Yeah. You have uh, uh, other kinds too. People who are ridiculing stuff, you know, scaring, oh, you're a lo- lunatic if you believe this. You have people that uh, are meant there to draw our attention, you know, to drain us so that we can be creative. Just, you know, all they're, they're not interested in a debate or anything. It's just interested in bickering and you know, stealing energy. So they have different approaches from these shills oh, sure, 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 that sure. I call them. Because I don't mind if someone is partisan, like I believe in something, therefore I go online and do something, like a skeptic, for example. These are people who are paid for it. And I've, right. I have I think I've figured out how to uh, distinguish between those who have their heart in it, like fanatics, lunatics, like skeptics, and just people who do it for money. But could you address this phenomenon? Uh, mostly it doesn't bother me personally because I rarely comment. I never read any comments on anything I put up. I never restrict comments and I never have mods because I basically don't give a damn. <laughs> right. So, so, so I'm some. Yeah, that's, that's a fair approach. But my point is they are driving the narrative in the public. They are indeed. And yeah. it is. And see, what you've described, though, is the basic new set of 
tools that are within the powers that be and any corporation that cares to use them tool set. And it's come to the point where it's become um, lucrative enough that uh, entire um, cadres of businesses have formed to provide these services. And we see these services, they're kind of like the crisis actors in the powers that be false flags. It had to, had to come about that crisis actor companies had to exist because there was such a demand for them. And lo and behold, we see that there's companies that specialize in crisis actors, just like we see that there's companies that specialize in reputation management or online reputation management or online reputation correction or any of these other words that they use to describe themselves. And they are the bot shill and troll farms Mm -hmm. and they're highly lucrative and they're making all kinds of people millions of dollars. And to a certain extent, they're providing some level of employment to individuals. I don't really, I don't really take them seriously. You know, it seems to me a huge waste of electricity, Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, because it's, there's things you could probably do it if you cared about it, but, but there's a, a certain, um, let me see if I can remember who it was. I don't know if it was Terrence McKenna or Alan Watts or somebody like that, mm-hmm. but basically said the ultimate power is in not giving a damn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you just don't give a, give a damn about any of this stuff. No, no, no. I'm not bothered like that personally. I mean, for me, it's uh, my attitude to it is tangoing with trolls is like a sport. It's like uh, having fun and also exposing them because uh, people are not aware that's what's going on. And I want to exploit them to make people aware that's going on. Because if they can, in our comment field, uh, recognize that, then they can start doing it other places too. And that helps them not give a damn. Because then they want to get, it's fair, it's a big tactic and groupthink, right? So if they think, right. if, if, if you have nine trolls and two honest people, uh, the nine trolls may uh, make it seem like, that's the majority. For example, this is just an example, right? But if you remove those, you will see that everybody who's left aggrieve about something. I don't know. Sure. So, so, so there's different ways you can. Sure. No, yeah. no, I understand, but it's a, it's a, it's a philosophy of life, though. And people need to be aware this actually exists. Okay. And see, so right there, I, I look at the language and I say, no, people don't need to be aware. Ah. Okay. Only those individuals, and it's, it has nothing. It's not critical of you. It's just that my approach as a, as a Taoist or uh, from Zen is. <laughs> (laughs) that, you know, or yogi is basically that people will get what their karma has them get no matter what I choose to say or think about it. And so I don't bother to say or choose to think about it at all because it's basically their karma as to whether or not they find me or anybody's message. But but why do people bother to pay them to alter opinions and and spew out opinions? Okay, because, because humanity is divided into whether by karma or for whatever reason, human minds are divided into, can be easily divided into categories. Okay. This is an arbitrary thing we're placing in on human minds from the outside, but it works. You can um, operate within it and and benefit from it. And that is that there's a great number of people that care about personality, Mm. a great number of people, maybe uh, a third or 40% of all of the people on the planet uh, care about personalities and they're interested in gossip and what people are doing around them and so on. Mm-hmm. There's another chunk that's almost as large. So not 40%, but say 35% of the, of the people that are concerned about events, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they're much more concerned about events and what's going on that way in news and so on than they are about the, uh, gossip about the personalities and this, they actually care though. These large groups of people within humanity care about, 
Um, so the people that care about personalities don't want to Royals see Royals and Hollywood. Right, right. Yeah. But those same, right. Those same people that read people magazine and all of the sports magazines about the celebrities and the yeah. entertainment magazines about celebrities, they never want to see themselves in any position of negative. So their worst fear is that they might find themselves in those magazines being discussed badly. <laughs> right. Okay. And so the same thing is the other group of people that are concerned about the events never, ever, ever want to find themselves in any media within any of those events. Mm -hmm. So they're fascinated by the hurricanes, but they never want to be in one, so to speak. Right. And so those are their worst fears. So they're easily manipulated by the powers that be, because these are the things that they care about. Yeah. Then there's some smaller, smaller group that cares about ideas, mm -hmm. the ideologues. Okay. And then there's an even smaller infinitesimal group. I think about 2% of the population that is, uh, concerned about exploring and understanding reality. And there's a big, right. a big difference. Hang on. I have to inject, I have to inject a metaphor. Sure. So you have, the largest group they are interested in who saw the ufo the next group is interested in oh there was a ufo the third group is interested in what are these ufos and then uh, uh, who, who, how should we say the fourth group is probably they want to fly in a ufo <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they're also concerned with within that fourth group the ones like myself that want to fly in the ufos yeah. okay is also the the our main thrust is what do UFOs mean in reality? Mm -hmm. in, the, in our exploration of our common reality, what is the meaning of UFOs? So in that sense, and actually, I have for years defined myself. When people ask, what do you do? It's really great, okay? I could go and do local traveling. You know, I'm going with my wife to, oh, like a medical appointment, and I'm sitting out in the waiting room and, you know, with other people that are also stuck sitting out in the waiting room, and someone asks, well, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a semi autician Okay. Mm -hmm. Shuts them right up. All right. <laughs> never, 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 another question. Most people don't even want to know what it right, means. Okay. Right, right, right. But a semi-autician is someone who looks for meaning in life. <laughs> right, right. And that's my official tax category too. And, ah, and, and really? It, and wow. it's, yeah, it's really, yeah, that's what I, that's what I do cool. for a living is I search for meaning in life. And when I find some of it, I see if I can't sell it. And if it sells, I make a profit. If it doesn't, I go look for more meaning in life. But, but basically, um, uh, so, so the small group here of us that, that is doing this, we are not, um, mutable. We're not changeable by the, uh, thoughts of others about ourselves, but everybody else within those larger groups are, and thus all the tools that you've just been describing work. Mm-hmm. Okay, and here's something else. There's this, there's, okay, so just as a diversion for all of your audience, uh, there's this guy out there who's a mathematician by the name of Eric Weinstein. He's been on uh, Joe Rogan. He has a podcast. It's called Portal. He's, he's had like maybe five or six of these podcasts. I happen to watch number four. And it was extremely, now he's a mathematician. Most of your audience probably won't care to watch him mm -hmm. because of the because they're, they're into the events or people. Mm. And this is really a guy who's discussing ideas, but this was a series of very important ideas. And the guy he was talking to is a mentor of his in the mathematician and physics and statics, uh, st statistician world. And this guy had an incredible inter, uh, illuminating and, and enlightening perspective. And that is that percept or, or preferences are mostly lies. So polls are meaningless. If you, yeah. And basically the guy's 
uh, uh, premise here is that most people, when questioned about their preference, do you like this ice cream or do you like that color or that tractor or that car or that politician? When you're asked these questions, you will lie most often. You know what? I've and worked, you, you, when I was a teenager, I worked as a pollster. I can confirm this. It's all about how you ask the question. There's so many factors that gives you the answer you want. Correct. And see, here's the problem. So, so the polls themselves are now tools. They're now weaponized tools, especially in our country. Oh, oh you can't get in this debate unless you draw yep, this yep, much in that exactly. poll. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then they ask the question such that you never will draw that much in that poll. Mm -hmm. um, but in any event, though, but this guy's premise was even more shocking to people like ourselves that are potentially advertisers because this preference lying extends down to the smallest level of relationship uh, within our system of objects. So you as a householder have an, have a relationship with your washer and your dryer. And however you may think of it or not think about it, you nonetheless have this relationship because you have them and you use them. But when you're, and you may have feelings about them, but the curious part of this is when you are actually in a position to express the preferences that you've built up about these, even in the absence of questions, when it's simply a choice parameters where there's no one asking any question, but there's a definitive uh, opportunity to express a preference, you will lie about it, including to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's staggering relative to how um, advertisers should be approaching the selling of their products and how you can take advantage of um, uh, this particular aspect of human nature that until we actually had computers and were able to apply these levels of algorithmic analysis, we didn't determine. And now we have the censorship algos trying to force us to not look at things and thus change our inbuilt preferences by force from the outside through all different kinds of shadow banning, actual banning, delay banning, and all these other, yeah. other tools. And, and so they're basically training humans. But what are they actually training us to do? Because they're training us to be smarter in our use about language. They're making us more uh, carefully articulate. You mean inadvertently? Because certainly, no. Inadvertently, correct, yeah. correct. They're not no. trying to. They're not trying to. The censorship, though, means that people are now actually having to become linguists <laughs> if you're going to be yeah. a YouTuber because you've got to understand what your words are going to – what effect they're going to have on those mm -hmm. algos. And so ultimately, you'll turn it the other way and say, hmm, what words could I use that would be favorable to use with these algos? You know what? That's, I have to say, I'm in that situation because we have so many videos demonetized. So I made it a sport out of finding out. Because what happens is the algorithm first does the dirty work. It flags something, right? And then some poor sucker has to listen through or watch through whatever it, exactly it so. flagged. So now I'm trying to find out how can I communicate the same contents without touching? Because I'm, I'm monitoring which words puts off the alarm. Uh, or which pictures so so it's uh, i have to buy i have to get the contents out then i mean the message without triggering the the mainstream world that would be used for example uh, uh, let's say secret space program i'm not saying it is but let's say that was flagged then maybe classified space program would get through you see what i mean Sure, sure. Or, or um, hidden funding or occulted yeah. funding or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, Off-world exploration instead of space, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But what does this do? This actually expands the, the 
pathways in your mind as well as in the mind of your audience. Because now we all have to make that internal connection that your language has changed to reflect what's Mm -hmm. going on. Now, this is analogous to, exactly analogous to another situation, okay? UAP versus UFO? No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah. But that's, no, I'm talking about a deeper social situation here that most people won't reference. Mm -hmm. And it's Cockney rhyming slang. Don't know even what that is. Okay. Okay, so so in Britain, because Britain is or England has always been a case of the royals ruling over everybody <laughs> and the royals owning ninety seven percent of the land, the population was forced to do everything they could as serfs and yeah. and subjects and slaves to get get mm-hmm. by. And one of the things they discovered was you are forbidden from saying nasty things about your betters. Oh wow. Okay. And so so you would use euphemism for those people that you wanted to insult. Ah. And so you would call them your betters as opposed to the royals because your betters was an ambiguous term for somebody, you know, whereas the royals was more specific. So you would alter your language. And it got to the point where the royals caught on. And so they knew certain words were, in fact, um, derogatory against them, mapped uh, from other words. Mm. And so they got really pissed about it. So you couldn't use that anymore. So the Cockney, a particularly put upon group within the British uh, population at the time, came up with and derived this uh, thing they called rhyming slang. And so they were like rapping, street rappers constantly. And they were rhyming everything. And of course, in the rhyming, of the past, you can discuss the horses and get on to the other thing and just leave the word hanging and it gets across the message without uh, ever saying the word. This was in Cockney so I can dis- English? In Britain, in, in, in English, correct, wow. correct. And so Cock- Cockney rhyming slang went with the convicts down to Australia and forms a core level of the occulted meaning of many Australian expressions and uh, <laughs> linguistic uh, structures. And, and so, so look what's happening right now. The same kind of thing is being done by YouTube as was done by the royals in Britain through their power structure mm. that uh, forced the Cockneys to invent the rhyming slang just to get by. Mm-hmm. And here we are having to do basically the same thing just to get by with our daily activities within the system of objects that we're calling YouTube. Mm -hmm. Very good point. And so we're going to get better. We're going to get more linguistically precise. We're going to get more linguistically obscure and yet still be able to be communicative as we go forward here. And it's basically making those people that are not um, th- that are not themselves mental drones, but those people that are trying to do something in life and aware of themselves. It's going to make them better persons running up against these um, uh, tools that the powers that be are using us within our digital world. Right, right. Okay, we have to move on, Cliff. Last question here. See, I have. Uh realized that my days are counted at YouTube eventually. Sooner or later, they will shut us down. So uh, we have emigrated to podcast platforms. And I actually think normal podcast platforms are not rigged. I think that's pretty organic and open. But then again, uh, nobody's doing any any building up for you. So that that kind of compares like uh, apples and oranges. So what I'm getting at, if you have any thoughts about a new tube, okay, because uh, there is competition for it now. But the problem is that those who can afford it are usually 
we live in corporacy, right? So it, in order to be uh, able to afford something like on YouTube, you would have to have a lot of power and money. And those who have that are not interested in uh, a new, uh, an original YouTube, right? Because that's was the problem with YouTube all along. But there are some who try, even though they're not they're not exactly the same as YouTube. But you have Minds and BitChute and whatnot. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about? Like, will there be a refuge? Will will we just ditch YouTube and go to another place? You think that will happen? Sure. Oh, sure. YouTube will. No, we won't ditch it. YouTube will simply be superseded by emerging technology. And we've seen the example of that just the other day in um, Hong Kong. Okay, so uh, YouTube will be replaced by a truly distributed network. YouTube exists now because people... Uh, feel they need to go to a, quote, central place. But the real driver of that is that the volume of and cost of the data storage and the streaming uh, is borne by YouTube, and therefore the advertisers go there, therefore it's a money-making operation. If YouTube had no advertisers and had no advertising, it would not exist because it costs too much to, mm. to house all of those uh, videos, right? 400 to 500 new videos per minute. Uh, being uploaded. And so, but what will happen is just what we saw happen the other day. Okay, so software has always been racing the uh, hardware. As hardware increases capacity, software is therefore able to do more. And as uh, software does more, it drives down costs of hardware and increases the capacity. So it's a symbiotic, uh, mutually um, uh, uplifting uh, relationship. And what will happen is that uh, we will get to the point where there is no need for the underlying storage in YouTube. Because bear in mind here, I make a video. That video exists on my camera. I maybe move that video over to a PC to, to edit it. But even these days, maybe that video only ever exists on my phone and I do the editing on my phone. But that video, nonetheless, in its entirety, exists on my phone. And then I upload it to YouTube and thereafter other people can download it or other people can view it. But it still is is potentially in existence on my phone. And the only reason I'm using YouTube is because it has a, as a URL, an HTML address that draws people mm. to that. If everybody knew my video was there, that everybody that wanted to watch it, they could potentially watch it on mm. my phone. And my phone might be in a situation where it had enough bandwidth that it doesn't matter that there might be 500 people trying to watch a video that's on my phone. And it, it could potentially have the, um, the oomph, the electricity behind it to be able to serve and stream that much. And so the distributed network approach is really emerging. The other day in uh, It's called, like peer-to-peer in a way. Yeah, correct. It's called Versus Mesh. Versus Google. Right. It's called Mesh. Okay. So the other day we had a, an example of a Mesh network form up in Hong Kong. So the powers that be in Hong Kong turned off the cell towers Jeez. in the areas that the protesters... They had to go hardware to stop it. They, well, no, no. Yeah, that's what their idea was, to go hardware to stop the protests. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that the population formed a mesh network where one cell phone communicated to all the cell phones that are around it in through Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Uh -huh. And they didn't rely on the, the old data channel of the cell phone. Okay, so they weren't relying on what's known as the 802.3 channel. And which is the basic, you know, uh, the cell phone phone yeah. carrier. They just went 
they went native and 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 rogue, so to speak, and everybody just connected up on on uh, uh, Bluetooth. Yeah, you can do. There's a million people crossing each other all the time there, so that's a fact. And, and of course, <laughs> and they're crammed in there, yeah. right? They're crammed into Hong Kong. Not so where you like, are, it, Matt. That wouldn't work. <laughs> no, that wouldn't work. I mean, there's no squirrel around here for me to, you know. And the coyotes just aren't interested in networking with me. Maybe but, I should and, attach it to my cat, though. She gets there, around. There you go. There you go. But, but in in Hong Kong, of course, it works yeah. beautifully because of the density of the population. Yeah. Now, with the increase in the facility of what the phones are capable of, there's phones that are run just, you know, guys walking around talking on their phone, doing texting, and in the background, their phone is running as a basic DNS service and a search engine for the nice. other mesh networks, so you can get connected to so and so. People are so smart. And all of the software is being. I'm sorry. It, I was just saying, people are so smart. It's just an outburst of approval here. Fighting correct, back. Correct. And, and all of these people have been. They've been brought up in this digital world. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I was born, let me see now. Actually, let's we can say that for the first twenty. Oh, okay, so the first nineteen years of my life, uh, there was I had no contact with anything that was digital. Hmm. In that sense, right? I mean, I personally had didn't have any interaction with an ATM or hmm. any of these kind of things. So the world I lived in was was uh, wasn't digital in my formative years like these kids. Mm-hmm. And so, because that's the nature, many of them have like internalized it, and so they have as part of their language, you know, the operating commands and whatever programming language that they normally program in, or all of the levels in a particular game and all of the programming language that's affected those levels, you know. And in fact, it's gotten to the point where many of the gamers, uh, the real smart guys in the game community, allow their games to be modified because they're going to be modified anyway. And so many gamers are now programmers by default because they want to make the game do something it doesn't do at this point. But there's no way the old Aparochkis over in Hong Kong can can battle this because they are clueless. Correct. They are actually living in another damn century. And And all the paradigm. Correct. And so, so, and they're dying. And it, and it, the only question is what will or okay so there's many questions about how long the chaos is going to ex- last how far it will spread uh, you know how we're all going to interact with it and so on but the ultimate question is basically um, for the uh, power structures is how shall they decide to fade away because the fading <laughs> away is indeed happening now mm-hmm. and, and you know like. Um, Oh, just like we were talking about the Epoch Times, you know, um, this is a is a new emergence of a of a fringe group that has decided to get out there and slug it out uh, and try and carve out a, a a new part of the reality for themselves in the digital matrix, and they are able as an oppressed minority within China, uh, but outside of China, to stand up and literally go toe-to-toe, basically, with the Chinese central power structure. Mm-hmm. And here you have that same thing occurring at the same time. And China, by the way, the largest country on the planet, the longest um, uh, dominant economic operating system on the planet. Fastest growing economy. Et cetera, everything. And their mm-hmm. power structure is basically being held hostage by uh, five, dozen, <laughs> five dozen bright minds in Hong Kong. Right, Correct. right. Correct. And they're very much afraid of those those 60 bright individuals. Yeah, yeah. No, they turn to brute force, as do the power elite in the West, by the way, still. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking then, taking away what you're saying from this, that uh, the new tube isn't here yet. We're not seeing it yet. Correct. 
Mm-hmm. But it's on its own, it's on its way and it's inevitable. So I don't mm-hmm. worry about it. You know, yes, it's going to affect those people that are trying to make a marginal living off of YouTube now. Uh, but of course, that's also if they're smart, it's forcing them to look to other alternatives to explore other things. That's that's why I'm asking you. I want to jump ship before it's too late, and I haven't been able to decide which of the current uh, so-called alternatives to to go to because one of the things I dislike with those who are trying to set up an alternative is the sectarianism. One of the keys to YouTube success was that not only could you directly, you know, peer-to-peer, face-to-face, YouTube yourself, but also anyone and everyone. What happens with many of these uh, competitors is that no. Uh, we're going to just have one for Conspe, we're going to just have one for alt-right, we're going to have just one for this, gaming, whatever. Sure. They are sectarianizing themselves, and that's never a clue to breakthrough. Okay, well, well here's the thing, though. As an individual awake to being within the system of objects, you don't become attached to any decision about any of the objects. You become attached to the decisions about your goals. So why make the decision about which one to put your stuff on, put it on all of all them. of them. And instead of looking for an individual, um, platform solution, look for a software solution that facilitates you using multiple mm. platforms with the one single. So you push one button and it automatically uploads, uh, all of your short snippets to Twitter, Facebook, mm. Minds, BitChute, and all of these others. And that kind of software exists today? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wanted to really manage a Twitter environment and you're not using third-party software, you're a fool. You can get Then Twitter. I am a fool. Okay. Uh, but the reason I'm not doing the first thing you said is that it takes so much damn energy and time to, you know, let's say I choose... Learning bit- curve. Learning curve, exactly. No, no, but it's like I use BitChute, okay? So I spent a lot of time and I get nothing back for it because there's almost no views and there's certainly no money. Then I spend the same time on Minds and you could go down the list, right? I can't... Then it's better to just sit on YouTube and wait for something better to come along. You see what I mean? Okay, no. Sure, sure. I buy that. That's an effective strategy because there is no economic return directly from BitChute or Minds. Or views, if it at least were views... Okay, but not not in any meaningful fashion, correct? Yeah. Right. Okay, and so they're they're uh, personally, if I were going to do that, you you have to look at what the trends are. Okay, so the trend is your friend. Examine reality, mm-hmm. and so maybe your reality says if I'm going to be able to survive with long content uh, or long form content, then I must master short form content just to provide the economics. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I'm going to get really good at slicing out one minute memes out of my long form content. And I'm going to dominate Instagram and Telegram Mm -hmm. and all of these other short form content media sites. All right. Where I can make bazillions of dollars because I know this because there's, uh, you know, uh, that woman over there that shows her ass twice a day yeah. and is making five million dollars. Instagram is really woman. Uh, it's like YouTube for men, Instagram for women. But I didn't understand correct, you could correct. make money on Instagram. Is that advertisement? What is it? How do you make money? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's d- dozens of different ways of making money on oh, Instagram, wow. just as there's dozens of different ways of making money on Telegram. Okay. And in fact, they're probably inventing. Uh, and WhatsApp. And they're starting to use these uh, chat uh, tools now, I've noticed. Like WhatsApp and Telegram. These aren't really social media as much as they are like Skype, advanced Skype. 
multiple connection media, yeah, right? Multiple connection point media. Okay, and so imagine that. Okay, ultimately, distribution. Ultimately, if you recognize that humans are individually, we're trapped within a system of objects, and collectively, all of the humans are all individually and isolated, mm. and our primary our primary um, motivation each and every day, every single minute is to communicate with other humans. Then it no longer matters if you think about, um, then then it's helpful to think about WhatsApp and all of these kind of things. And even Facebook and all of these others as simply a means of communicating. Mm. So this is why WhatsApp, Instagram, and all of these other things are becoming very effective is because they allow you as an individual to communicate uh, to more people in in a time than you used to be able to get online. So let's look at this really crudely, real quickly. It, it, when you first got online and you were a kid or whatever, you get on there and and you screw up your courage and you make a comment on somebody's video. <laughs> okay, that's the fir- first time you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And and nothing happens or you get shit for it or you get praise for it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But there is an instant reward for you the next time you go back to that video and you will go back to that video just to see your comment right. and, and see your name. And that causes this little dopamine flare up in your brain, right? right? Okay. You actually feel good from seeing your name in print. All right. And so you get a dopamine and uh, response. Well, no, not me. I'm the worst <laughs> example. But yes, this is but, valid but, but for everyone. General, yes, general, yes, yes, right, yes, yes. Right. Okay. So for most people. <laughs> yeah. And so they get a dopamine response and that what's, that's what keeps them on that social media and they become addicted to do this. And ultimately, some of them will go on to become YouTube personalities or write a lot of shit on Twitter or whatever right. just to keep that response going. And this is what the social media count on in doing that. Right. But the new social media have taken it one step further because you're getting the dopamine response from other people seeing your name and acknowledging right. that they saw your name right. via the comments. That was the evolution from the static comments under YouTube to chat. Right. And now, and then now on YouTube, the smart way to do it is to premiere your YouTube video. You make your, your YouTube video ahead of time. You don't live stream it. This is in competition with live stream and it's actually catching on more. Yeah, I've seen and it. And you, Okay, and you don't live stream it, you premiere it, which means you set a time that it's going to be officially available on YouTube, and then you go join that chat while everybody is watching your video and chatting amongst themselves. You also participate in that chat. I didn't think about that because I I considered doing this premiere thing, but then we're always behind. So when I'm uploading something, it takes fucking 12 hours to upload it. And then I'm thinking, no, let's get it out there. I can't wait anymore, right? Sure, you're sick of it. Right, I understand that. I understand that. No, but what you're saying is brilliant because we don't do live not yet at least and so I have to rely on being guests at other people's show to interact live there you but go I could do it like what you're saying now this is brilliant that's I what, didn't think of okay, that okay and see that's why the people at YouTube at the not the powers that be but the guys that actually design YouTube services yeah. and so on the techies like myself what they call the UX mm. guys the user experience guys had noticed that this was the trend and they can get more dopamine out of you if and pump more into mm. you if this interaction action goes on and and people they call it uh, touching the hem okay and so it's like people want to touch the hem of the celebrity <laughs> and so they do it with this interaction with them in the chat 
And so, so mm-hmm. premiere was done so that you as the celebrity, as the creator, the producer of it, don't have to be involved in actually streaming and thus not be able to interact well with live chat. So it's the best of worlds. Every, everybody gets paid. The celebrity gets their ego massaged uh, and the fans get their, their exactly. massaged for and, this interaction. And so, and, Perfect and love. And they keep you on there longer. And, and this was a, a boon to YouTube because yeah. guess what? People actually stay in the chat longer than the video yep. exists. Right, and so they've got all those, yeah. eyes. and they even come before the video correct, comes. They correct. come to the so chat. It's just, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's you know, I, I look at these things and I think, oh my god, you know, brilliant. I, I hope that that whoever <laughs> yeah. came up with that idea got a promotion out of it at least, right? Of course not. Somebody ripped it off, and he got booted. That's usually how it probably, goes. Yeah, probably, yeah. but but you know, nonetheless. So, but see, I'm admiring of it as a, in a social technical fashion. Sure, right? There's just a good evolution. No, even me, who are non-technical, must admire this brilliant scheme. Right, and so so. This this is the beauty of those third-party software things for Twitter. Mm. You can get a third, many number of them, third-party software that allow you to manage your interaction with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers to give them the chat kind of experience because you're responding through these automated bots that you set up with templates in advance in a in a quasi-personal fashion to many of the people that are on, on the following trail. Yeah, I see Joseph Farrell, when he uploads something, I've noticed he's not personally on, on Twitter, I think, not often, but I see that uh, it goes automatically to Twitter and then other places sure, too. Sure, sure, You can automate all of this, guys. So I, I don't as a rule. But maybe I'm, I'm too old school because I've been thinking paranoia. I know I don't want to connect one account to another account to a third account to a fourth account. That's a gift to NSA and who not, right? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore, though, guy. Oh, They've okay. got that information already. <laughs> and so, so really, truly. Okay, so they... Despite they, all my pseudonyms and VPNs and... Right, but but there's another another aspect of this. You'll see people say, "Well, if you don't have anything to hide, why do you care if they take your information?" No, that's a bullshit argument, right? Yeah, yeah. And and there's another way of looking at that. Uh, if I have something to hide, I want them to take as much information from me as possible, so that I can bury what I'm trying to hide in the minutia of it all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's really what, what uh, the smart techies do, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I ran into this guy once, and I was discussing things with, a, with him in a general sense. And this is a professional, lives-by-his-wits hacker who's like maybe in his 30s or 40s, okay? We mm-hmm. might think of him as like a con artist. Well, he doesn't steal from individuals. He steals from computers mm-hmm. by knowing how computers work and software and this kind of thing. And one of the things that he said about that was that, you know, data – swamping is your friend that that the way to really um keep yourself free so to speak is to let them have everything possible so that they because uh, basically the software will never get an accurate idea of really what you're doing if it understands or or if you upload every possible thing and in the Mm. process of uploading every possible thing especially if you're technically uh, astute it's possible for you to flood the system but but this guy as a hacker was saying that that in his profession um uh, and I don't know if he was trained by the CIA or any of that. I suspect he was trained by somebody in an organization, and he's not work with them anymore. And mm. he's just paid to do things for individuals or does things on his own. Mm. And he had this guy come to him and want his wanted to be scrubbed out, wanted to be erased. And I don't know any of the details much beyond that. But the fellow I was talking to said, "No," he said. He said, "I'll take your money." I think he charged him like ten grand to do the job, mm-hmm. to uh, protect this individual. And he said, "Yeah, I'll take your money." But he didn't erase him. He just 
put this guy into so many of the databases. Right. And under Hidden so in many, plain sight, old principle. Correct, yes. correct, correct. And had it tied to so many different uh, networks and stuff that there was no meaningful information Brilliant. in there. Brilliant. So I like being tied over to the blue, blue chicken. That's so Tai Chi. Exactly. That move is so Tai Chi. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we need to wrap up here pretty quick. So Okay. Uh, like, like usual, I'm going to send you. But, but beware, I'm going to send you the death show soon. Sure. So if you could put it up on Twitter when that happens. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No worries, dude. No worries. Cool. Yeah, always do that that for you. Just sure, uh, any time. Thank you a lot. Uh, nothing more to add here. All right. Or do you have have anything more to add nope gotta go eat yeah so i gotta go <laughs> and um, i have to do a lot of things too it's it's late here but thanks a lot for and you know what uh, let's send your wife our blessings our best thoughts of healing really hope she's she's going to get better yeah. you you've had enough loss for a for a while for now. a long time <laughs> yeah. yes i have yeah yes. it would be nice to have uh, someone <laughs> <laughs> remaining It'd be nice nice for a change yes, yeah, for a yeah. change so we call it a wrap yeah yeah we can head out sure okay god bless uh, Cliff thank you a lot for this uh, deep deep session sure no worries guy glad we only do it a couple of times a year <laughs> <laughs> same here <laughs> okay yeah Oof. well thank you I'll let you go okay, okay. Yep. bye 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 And that's our show for today. Thanks again to Cliff for being a good sport and coming on, sharing with us some of his insight into this digital world of ours. And thank you for listening. Now, I want to, before parting, I want to say to you people who re-upload our shows on these new channels that you're doing us no favors. I mean, most of those who do this are either bot services. Uh, We've struggled with that. And I didn't ask Cliff about this in the show, but there are some weird channels that don't seem to be run by human beings, and they upload all sorts of weird stuff that's not consistent with each other. And I'm guessing it's a way to test to see if uh, the stuff will be allowed to remain there without being taken down, for example, by copyright complaints. And if so, if it's like a way to test to see, then after a while they can upload all the videos of a channel whose samples wasn't taken down. Otherwise, it could can also just be random that they just randomly lift videos from different channels without having an agenda to upload everything. And usually comments are disabled or there's no contact information. So that's one phenomenon. That's like the bot thing. And it's very hard to battle it because it doesn't seem... If it's a person, YouTube takes action. But for some reason, they don't... They rarely touch these bot channels, so it's very hard to get get them down. Sometimes, eventually, if we are consistent, we, we get them to take the vids down, but they don't delete the channels. It's almost as if these bot channels are have some kind of special permission from the platform. But when there's persons and they 
pirate upload three i think it's three copyright strikes then they close down the channel so normal people have to watch out for that but i'm i'm uh, obviously trying to appeal to the normal people if you you're probably a fan of ours if you're uploading our shows either it's youtube or BitChute or Mind or Gab or whatever all these platforms are called. I'm assuming you are. I mean, you may not be, uh, but you just want to milk the attention that our videos can get. But in either case, you're doing us no favor because you are derailing views from our main videos. And in today's world, in, in the di- today's digital world, views are counted as money, basically. I don't care about losing advertisement or even potential subscriptions by that. What I do care about is the view count because the larger view count we have, the easier it is for us to stand up for ourselves when they try to crack us down. Uh, The more view counts we have, the easier it is to get guests on. You have no idea how many guests have checked out our view counts and then declined and i promise you it would have been great shows and you can't really blame them because you oh yeah they're snobs but look some people get a million requests and they really just have to rationalize who and what where they can go on i'm sure some of them if they knew us would come on just because it's a different format because they know the audience is bright because for once they can do in-depth. But, you know, the, nobody is having a pulse of who, what's going on. People don't have time. Even most listeners are not aware of us. So how can you expect uh, the guests? So that's uh, an argument. Another is that more views gives us more facilities in the platform itself. More views also lead to indirectly to more advertisement and subscribers to a website because obviously the more people who know about us, the more people know about us. <laughs> it's like a synergy effect. If 10 people know about us, they will tell 10 others. If 100 people knows about us, they will tell 100 others and so on. And also it's such a hassle to battle these uh, rip-offs of a hard work. We strive to produce original contents for you. And it's so easy for these people who don't produce anything original to just take other people's work and build themselves up by that. It's a whole business out there to do it. And if you do it in a fair and legal way where you have agreements with those, I mean, no problem. But um, the problem is I try to assign helpers to battle these corporate things because it was so time-consuming and energy-draining and it really it really adds to the slowness of a release But it turned out it's not possible for our team members to do it because they have to do it through our main account. Oh, and and a shout out to you, (laughs) Selvi. So this means, people, that every time... um, You have no idea how big the process is. First, we have to... Let's say we search for these things and we find let's say we find five then it's a matter of clicking through the complaint field of every single one and then we have to copy the pirate url then i have to find my original url copy that in then i have to file out the form then i have to argue 
have to give all sorts of information. The whole process just for one may take half an hour. Then you add five more, right? And if you're big, if you're really big enough, if you have enough view counts, you can get these things automated. You can join the, that automated service. But we are not anywhere near. That's for the big corporations and those few who make it in big numbers. So you see, it's just going to be a drain. And maybe that's the point. Slow down production. I mean, we know TPTB does it like that. They're, they're cheating and... Um, rigging and exploiting every small bits and pieces here and there and together it amounts to a huge wall. Instead of doing one effective single thing that's too apparent and revealing and dramatic. So better, like Cliff say, they, they make small rigs here and there that applies to all in bulk. So we have to battle that. And that, people, is also why we you would help us a lot out if you were to report to us when you suspect pirate uploads. I've had that happen before. Very appreciated. You can reach us through our website. If you are a subscriber of our website, obviously very easy. But at our website, there is like a contact form. You can also just comment on our channel and see if uh, one of our people sees it there. And mind you, by the way, when you email us, it's not necessarily, it's very rarely that I even look at emails. I don't know how the other people can handle that, other podcasters, other channels. I have two people helping me with mails, and even that's not sufficient. So obviously we're doing something wrong. We are not being effective. We're Even the whole membership procedure is very time-consuming and manual and, and ridiculous. But in order to improve this thing, someone has to sit down and learn how to do it better. And we just don't have time for that because we're behind. We're behind on YouTube or public releases. We're behind on membership releases. So it's just an evil circle that's very hard to get out of. So you're, you're easing our work if you report these things for us. Sometimes I've got reports where it was fair game. What they reported, we knew about, and it was okay. But nevertheless, I do value that you tried, because you, you, you never know. So better you report a too many, where some are either us or someone who's permitted to upload something of us, than under-report and let them go under the radar. So uh, battling these rip-offs will help our own work at the end of the day, now that I've explained a little of how things are connected together. Another lesson from today's show is that um, sharing shows helps a lot. It influences the algorithm more than anything else. I think he said also playlists, but sharing them across platforms Mentioning us where it's relevant is also helpful because that, oh, if you mention it enough times, people will start knowing, oh, where I have heard this name before, Forum Borales, so better check it out. So that's something you can do. And uh, if if you help us out like this, we can focus more on what we should be spending our time on, which is producing more shows, releasing more shows. That's, after all, why you're into it, right? So 
it's not to do us any personal favors is because you enjoy uh, the format and you enjoy the contents and uh, topics and so on so then um, we give you back more of that we scratch each other's back so to speak Oh, and speaking of subjects, I, I mentioned in the show I, I want to focus on this uh, Ross guy, Ross Ulbricht, Ulbricht, I don't know how you pronounce it in English. And I want to do more power critical shows like that next year. People like Assange Snowden, Ross, Jeremy Hammond, and also this guy who suicided Aaron Swartz or Swatch. <clears throat> I mean, he can't be freed because he was suicided, but his case warrants a show. And we should probably also have similar shows for journalists who's been accidented or suicided. But that is further down the road. And another kind of topic we want to see if we can explore in the future um in fact, I do want to have a whole series like the one we have on the crisis of academia. I sh- we should have a similar, probably more important about the failure of the corporate media. Um, I don't think they're going to be very popular, but I think it's a duty to uh, contribute to the noise protesting the injustice of the corporacy, whether it be online or in real life. So there's a lot of stuff we want to do in the future uh, when it comes to social reality. Uh, we do have other venues we're walking down, like the spiritual reality and history and relationship-based issues. So a lot to gape over, but eventually we'll get there with your help because at the end of the day you are the driving force behind our show it's only viable if you or if enough of you deem it so finally let me part with this beautiful quote digital platforms are worthless without content they're shiny sacks with bells and whistles but without content they're empty sacks It is not about pixels versus print. It is not about how you're reading. It is about what you're reading, said Maureen Dowd. That's it for today. I've been your host, Al. Until our paths cross again, I remain yours sincerely. Be seeing you. Who is number one?